It's not just hockey that's back. Sports is back. And right now, you can save 40% off to a subscription to The Athletic. And there is really no better time to sign up if you are not subscribing to The Athletic, especially if you're a hockey fan. There's about to be a million games, and we've got insight. We've got diaries from inside the bubble, so like access that you can't get elsewhere. Uh, we've got all of our experts weighing in, analyzing games, previewing games. It's going to be – there's just a ton of stuff coming at The Athletic around the NHL's postseason. And it's not just that. Don't miss exclusive in-depth coverage of all the sports seasons that are kicking off right now. Subscribe now and save. And you can sign up now to see for yourself the creativity, reporting, and storytelling that sets The Athletic apart. And if you go to theathletic.com slash full60, you can receive 40% off an annual subscription. Sports are back, and you don't want to miss the breaking stories in your favorite teams. So go to theathletic.com slash full60 for 40% off an annual subscription to The Athletic. We hope to see you there. Welcome to the Full 60 featuring Craig Custance and presented by The Athletic. Each week, we'll dive into the biggest stories in hockey while bringing in unique voices to entertain and explain all aspects of the game. Hey, this is Craig, and welcome to what is part two of this week's episode of the Full 60, or episodes, as it were, featuring all the insight you could ever ask for previewing the NHL's postseason. Um, and if you missed part one, first, it probably makes sense to go and check out that one. It was it was so good, with a ton of insight from Jeremy Rutherford, and, and Fluto, and Tarek, and Joe Smith, and Arthur Stitt, like a ton. Shana Goldman was great on the Rangers. If you didn't listen to that one, go check that one out. But now, we're going to lead things off in episode two of this preview with... Daniel Nugent Bowman, who covers the Edmonton Oilers for us and, and has some great insight on a, a team that has, as you know, high-end skill, but not a ton of experience and not a lot of people. I think people are definitely curious to see how far this team could go. And after that, we got Sean Shapiro, Jesse Granger, Adam Vingan, Ryan Clark, Mike Russo, Scott Krugchink, and Sarah Sivian to close things out. Just a great episode, and I'm really excited, and let's dive in, leading off with Daniel Nugent Bowman. My favorite series, and I'm not, and I, I honestly, I'm not saying this for every series on this on the docket, the Edmonton Oilers and Chicago Blackhawks series, I love, because there's so much, I mean, you have star power, you have the young up-and-coming team versus the veteran team that knows how to win a Stanley Cup but may not have any gas left. There's so much to talk about in this series, and we're going to start with the Oilers' perspective with our athletic Edmonton Oilers beat writer, Daniel Nugent Bowman, Daniel, how are you? I'm very well, Craig. I'm so pleased to be on. I'm a regular uh, listener, so I hope I don't bring down the <laughs> viewership or listenership <laughs> in any way by coming on, but uh, it's great to talk to you. I am excited, and, and this has been fun because it's just been in and out, quick hitters. I'm doing a couple of the same questions, and we'll get to it at the end, um, but what, it's been so good because... Y- it's it's insight like sometimes in these national stories when you kind of lap around the playoffs it's it's very surface level and it's not the case because you guys know these teams so well and it's and the information's been so great and and so let, let let's keep it going and with the Oilers I mean there's a lot to be fascinated about here um, but to me I mean let's start with the star power at the top those two guys do you. Is that enough to carry this team on something beyond one or two rounds? That, to me, is the biggest debate with the Oilers. 
uh, you're talking about uh, Riley Sheehan and Josh Archibald, right? Or that's right. The that's right. Yeah. And, Does uh, Riley Sheehan have enough uh, in the tank here? <laughs> well, he has to get he has to get back. He's actually uh, kind of banged up right now. But no, uh, I, you know what? Um, do they have enough? I mean, that's that's kind of the the, the question, right? I mean, McDavid and Drysaddle clearly, you know, lead this team offensively. And, and it's interesting because so much of that that production, I mean, their power play was historic this year. It was fourth all time since the NHL started keeping uh, power play stats in 77-78. So uh, five on five, the Oilers were, were a pretty lousy team. Um, neither of those guys, you know, were, were above 50% in, in Corsi 4 percentage. Um, you know, Dreisaitl went through a, a miserable stretch in, in, in December where uh, he was on the ice uh, at five on five for 23 goals against and, and only three four. So uh, they they really turned the corner though when when Kyler Yamamoto uh, came up uh, from the HL at the very end of December and um, he basically played on the line with Drysital and Nugent Hopkins, Ryan Nugent Hopkins for uh, for the duration of the season. There's a little bit of tinkering at the end and and that line really drove uh, drove the team and McDavid had some injuries and and they couldn't they being the Oilers coaching staff and, and Dave Tibbet couldn't really find the right set of wingers for McDavid uh, when he was healthy. Um, so Nugent Hopkins is now up uh, with McDavid and Zach Cassian and they have, uh, you know, Dreisaitl and, and um, Yamamoto have remained a pair. They've slotted in uh, Tyler Ennis. They, they tried Athanasiu, the, the, those two being uh, trade deadline acquisitions uh, during camp here, but I think Tyler Ennis will get the, the, the go here to start. And I, I, the, I think the real advantage the Oilers have is when uh, they do have home ice, uh, and I'm talking about uh, in terms of gameplay, not uh, because obviously with the playoffs being in Edmonton, they don't have home ice for the whole series and everything. But for those first two games and, and game five, if necessary, uh, t- Dave Tippett can really kind of decide what he wants to do, and, and the Hawks will have to pick their poison as to who, who they want to really uh, try to match up against, whether it's the you know, the, the league scoring champion or the guy who finished second and is regarded by everyone as the best player in the world. So, um, you know, the top end, I think, offensively, the Oilers have it. They might have a little bit of of, of, um, uh, of an edge in depth, too, up front. But it's, it's really, uh, you know, I think how those guys can perform and also um, – how how and what they're going to do uh, with their goaltending because I think if Corey Crawford can play that's where the Hawks have the have the real decided edge there right so I, the Oilers power play was a powerhouse what I th- think kind of went sneaky under the radars the radar is that their PK was really good like that's so when I look for just indications for me whether or not a team is going to do well in the playoffs like I I tend to throw power play out the window, and maybe an old-fashioned way of thinking, but I just feel like that's something that can disappear, right, in a in a postseason. Um, and PK, but if you have a great PK, I, I think that that can be a difference maker in a series. What like I I think I have a good understanding of why the power play was good. What what made the Oilers PK so good? Yeah, and it, it was a remarkable turnaround. I mean, they, there's two coaches that came in. Um, you know, obviously Brian Weisman was another guy, but Dave Tippett and uh, and Jim Playfair, and they really uh, they really uh, kind of made it more aggressive. But they also it was a bit of a change in personnel. And I joked about Shane and Archibald, but those are the two guys that uh, were the the most prominent forwards uh, at uh, you know the, doing the penalty killing. Um, yeah, they went from 30th overall in the league last year to second. So, I mean, that's that's an incredible turnaround. And, and that's been the uh, a sore spot of this team for years, constantly in the in the bottom uh, of the league in that in that respect. So um, you're right. I mean, the, the special teams, there's no question the, the Oilers have, you know, 
the special teams edge are basically the best special teams uh, club in the, in the entire league. Um, but to me, it's, it's, you know, as we've seen in the past, penalties uh, and power play opportunities seem to go down uh, in the playoffs. So that's, you know, if a lot more of the series is, is played at five on five than it, than it typically would be uh, during the regular season, that's where uh, things seem to kind of uh, tilt toward Chicago's favor because, you know, at five on five, the Oilers have not been very good this year. Why do you think that is? Really, I think the like you know I did say that earlier that they do have some I think edge in depth, and again that's over Chicago, who's uh, you know a team that you know really has no business being in the playoffs yeah, under normal circumstances. Course. Right. Um, so you know they they really they they don't have uh, the bottom end of the lineup. There's there's not you know really a ton there. Shahan, although very good penalty killer, is is probably playing a little over his head as a third line center. Um, Jujar Kara played vast majority of the season uh, on the wing, but has been moved to center uh, mostly since the trade deadline uh, when they did acquire a couple wingers in, in Tyler Ennis and Andreas Athanasiu. So um, they, they want him in the lineup for his penalty killing uh, acumen, but he's not the fleetest of foot either. Uh, Ch- Ch- Alex Chason and, um, and James Neal, although they're net front guys on the power play and have some offensive touch, again, aren't, aren't the fleetest of foot. Um, and, and so, you know, they're, they're in, in that respect they're they are kind of, uh, a little thin up front. Uh, the wing has been an issue, uh, on this team for years and they're hoping, you know, they, now they've, they've moved, uh, Nguyen Hopkins to the wing and, and Kyler Yamamoto, as I mentioned, has been kind of a revolution, uh, the, the last little bit of the season here. So they're, they're slowly kind of rounding that out. But really when you look at this team, it's it, up front, it's, it's Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl. You know, I, I think you're you're kind of starting to throw uh, Kyler Yamamoto and then and then Ryan Nugent Hopkins into, into that mix too. Um, but after that, I mean, there are a lot of indispensable parts uh, at, from a five-on-five perspective that uh, that don't really drive the bus. Right, right. One of the interesting trade deadline moves. Well, actually, before I get to Athens, see you. I, I, you know, Mike Green opted out, and that hasn't happened a ton in in hockey. Um, and totally understandable, Mike Green, you know, I, I don't think I was shocked. Like if I would have really sat down and thought about players, candidates, like Mike's, you know, Mike, Mike's a family guy and I, I can see, you know, gets traded to a team, doesn't have a ton of ties to, um, what impact does that make on their D? Yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, if there was one guy on the Oilers, I would have thought could have, or would have opted out, it would have been Mike Green. So I, you know, I'm not surprised there, uh, that he was the guy, um, yeah, it doesn't. I wrote when it happened. It's it's not the end of the world. Like he would have been in a in a five six spot, uh, battling for a five six spot. Uh, obviously, he was coming off a knee injury. He'd only played two games for the Oilers uh, before he, he got hurt. Those two games right after he was acquired, and uh, really, so he hadn't played since the end of February, which I guess isn't too long considering no one's played since the middle right. of March. But <laughs> That's right. uh, he, at I some mean, point, he, it all just averages out to about the same. Yeah, yeah. I guess. Um, but yeah, I mean, there was not, it wasn't even a lock that he was going to play every day. And, yeah. um, but, but, you know, he's a veteran defenseman who the Oilers from the, from the back end, you have basically Ethan Bear and, and, uh, Oscar Kleppbaum, um, that, that moved the puck well. And Green would have definitely been part of that, that mix. Some good, you know, somebody who could move the puck. Uh, again, we talked about their struggles at five on five. He could have, and could have given them, you know, some, some more competent minutes, um, uh, you know, on the back end there, uh, he wasn't expected to play on the power play, which uh, I think for a lot of kind of 
uh, league-wide fans would sound surprising considering that's really how he made his his mark in the league as an offensive star from the from the back end years ago with Washington. But, you know, Kleppbaum's really run that power play from the back end all year. Uh, and then they have, uh, they, they go with uh, three forwards and two D on the second uh, unit that, that barely plays, but it's a bear and, um, and uh, Darnell Nurse. But, but yeah, so I, you know, I don't think Green's absence is, is monumental. Um, again, you, it would have been nice. You always want to have extra uh, defensemen um, during the playoffs, and it, and it did kind of uh, early on. Uh, his his loss was felt a little bit in training camp because um, Caleb Jones uh, was kind of late getting getting in. He you know he was practicing on his own, but he didn't. He missed the first few days because he had tested positive for for COVID nineteen and was being kind of eased back into things. Um, and really, we thought. Uh, Green, Jones, uh, Matt Benning, and and um, and Chris Russell would kind of be in the mix uh, for two spots on the, the last two spots uh, on the defensive core. Uh, and really, with Green gone and Jones still working his way back in, it's been Benning and, and Russell that have have seen all the work there uh, through training camp. Um, it, and I, I hate to harp on goaltending in every one of these, but I feel like it keeps coming up. This series, we, we don't know. You know, Corey Crawford is is a bit of a wild card and we'll get to him when when we get to the Blackhawks. I you know, I, I don't the Oilers kind of again, we, we don't know who may emerge there. Is is there a clear cut guy there that you think has a better chance of if, if it's him leading him on a run? Yeah, I mean the numbers and the guy who is definitely the more consistent uh, goaltender this year was Miko Koskinen. And uh I don't if it you know if it were me and I think a lot of fans feel this way their the choice really shouldn't be all that hard but dave Tippett has a tremendous amount of respect for mike smith this is the third organization that they've worked together uh you know going to dallas and, and phoenix slash arizona uh and dave Tippett was the guy who who really wanted mike smith to to come uh and, and work as a, in a tandem uh here in edmonton with with koskinen so uh, mike smith when he's been hot um he uh you know, he's done, you know, really well, but he's had a lot of cold stretches too. But, you know, the team really respects him. They, they like him. Uh, Wayne Gretzky was on um, the the uh, Two Man Advantage podcast with, uh, you know, Scott Burnside and Pierre Lebrun, and he was saying that he's never seen a, a goaltender really kind of have that effect, that galvanizing effect on a team. And and it's it's true. I mean, he does bring a little bit of a different dynamic, obviously, with his puck uh, handling abilities and, and all that. So, um, you know... All that said, I mean, I think the, the choice is clear, but I, I don't think it's quite as clear to, to Dave Tippett and and uh, you know the, the, <laughs> it's clear they, to you, yeah, it's yeah. clear to me, but and a lot of other fans. But uh, you know, he, yeah. he won't even he wouldn't even say yesterday uh, Monday what he would do in the exhibition game Tuesday tonight. So uh, in terms of how he'd work his goaltenders, so I, I, he's definitely playing coy, <laughs> and yeah. uh, it, uh, you know, I think uh, it'll be a very interesting decision. But he, he has said Dave, Dave Tippett has said that. Uh, he does expect uh, both goaltenders to play in the playoffs, which is kind of a uh, a different you know different uh, different opinion than you'd see from a lot of uh, coaches yeah. that like to kind of run one guy. So this could be a very interesting. Uh, we'll see how far obviously it goes, but it could be a very interesting kind of run uh, for the Oilers and and how Dave Tibbet wants to work his goaltending. I wonder how much of that coyness is because of the style difference. Like if you're if you named Koskinen now. You know, you don't have to. If you, you know, Mike Smith has such a unique style. The way he plays the puck, at least it gives the Blackhawks something else to think about, right? If you're saying maybe it's Mike Smith, yeah, and they know him. Sorry, yeah, yeah, they know him pretty well too, dating back to that uh, 
that series. Mike Smith single-handedly beat him in a playoff series one year. Yeah, yeah, in, in 2012. But hey, my, that was Mike Smith when he was 30, not, not 38. And <laughs> that was a long time uh, ago. you know, yeah, and uh, I mean, there are still some very key components to that Chicago team um, that remain. But the, there's been a lot of turnover there too. But but uh, yeah, I know he's public enemy number one there still in Chicago for for that series and maybe some some flopping too. Um, but uh, it, uh, it'll be interesting. He, and, and you know, for the record, he he did start all three games against Chicago this year. Koskinen did not get uh, any timing, or he did get some mop up duty, I should say, in, in one of the games. So um, yeah, that's uh, another kind of wrinkle to the whole situation as well. That's interesting. All right, to wrap up, uh, two questions I'm asking everybody. One is I'm looking for a hinge player. That if this guy is good and maybe better, you know, just gets hot and overachieves, um, you know, the Oilers' playoff success hinges on his success. And we're not allowing goaltending because I think that's the cop-out answer. Um, even though you could make an argument in this case, it would really help clarify things. Who would be your hinge guy? Like, we're going to assume McDavid's McDavid and Dreisaitl's Dreisaitl in this case. And they're going to be great. But if one guy <laughs> emerges... Well, there goes that hot take. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, Connor McDavid. Well, it, I don't know if he quite qualifies, but I would go back to Kyler Yamamoto. Uh, yeah. And I say yeah. I don't know if he qualifies. It's weird. He's a weird kind of player for this uh, category because he's a rookie, uh, and he only played 27 games, but he so changed the fortunes of this team uh, from January onward. He had 26 points in, in 27 games. Uh, for for a rookie um and he does play with dry sidle so he um you know there's there's obviously uh some reason to to think that he will uh do well um but yeah he doesn't i mean i know he he you know he's on that second power play unit but really that that unit plays about 15 seconds um he seldom kills penalties so he you know he's really doing it all um at five on five which as you know i mentioned earlier so i think is so important in in the playoffs if penalties are going to uh going to uh, decrease which they they usually do maybe this year with with the kind of the bizarro setup we have here and no fans that changes but um yeah that, that would be my guy again i don't know if he quite qualifies because he again is in a top six role and playing next to leon dry but that that's that's my guy yeah, I, I you're right. Like if all of a sudden this guy has this great postseason, it's really easy to imagine Edmonton going well. I like that answer. Mm-hmm. All right, and the second thing I'm asking guys, I'm looking for just a gut feeling here, not necessarily a prediction, just a gut feeling about performance, a player, the run, what's about to happen, just from a beat writer's perspective, because you guys are so plugged in and have a feel. So I'm asking guys to finish the sentence. I have a gut feeling that what. Oh, um, I have a gut feeling that, uh, I, I, I have a gut feeling that the Oilers are going to make the second round of of the playoffs. You know, I, I thought that they would handle Chicago very easily. Um, that was before we knew, you know, we did our predictions there at the athletic and, and that was before we knew what Mike Smith or sorry, what Corey Crawford's status, uh, was. And, you know, I think, if he's there and he's healthy, that that makes things a lot more difficult for for the Oilers uh, than it would be for for any of the other three uh, options that Chicago has. Um, but I, I think that you know this team is young. It you know they have as we mentioned these these superstars that are now on different lines, which diversifies the offense. Uh, if one goalie can get hot, I think there's a lot there that could get them kind of moving along here. So obviously, you know, no bracket and with the, they're kind of the, um, 
the the top four teams doing their round robin there we, we had no idea who the Oilers would face in the next round should they get there so there's a lot to kind of not know there before as I'm making this prediction but I, I don't think they're you know they're still you know a couple pieces away from really being a Stanley Cup contender but they're they're for the first time in a long time I think they're they're kind of they're getting there and they're on the right track and I think this postseason could be a real kind of harbinger of things uh, to come for for this franchise and and uh, it's uh, this optimism that is <laughs> that is in uh, Edmonton is it hasn't been seen in a long time and I, I think you might start to see a little bit of it uh, in in the summer here. All right, well, Daniel, thanks so much for doing this. I'm excited. It's gonna be fun. That's gonna be a fun series to watch. You're very welcome. Happy to do it. Awesome. Oh, great. That's Daniel Nugent Bowman. He's covering the Oilers who play their five-game series against the Chicago Blackhawks beginning August 1st. The home team in Rogers Place in Edmonton. All right. Keeping it moving. We've got Sean Shapiro on the line, the great beat writer of the Athletic Dallas for the Dallas Stars. Sean is a good friend. The Dallas Stars are playing the part of the round-robin portion. They've got Colorado, Vegas, and St. Louis. Um, I would say in the West, which is a bit wide open, they are I, there's they're a bit of a wild card. You can make the case that this is a team capable of going out a run. Also, they're not young. This I, I don't know. They gave the average ages today. My guess is there there may be some guys that have uh, potentially some slow starts. So let's get Sean in here. Sean, how are you? Good. How are you doing, Greg? I'm I'm good. So I've heard people say. Put Dallas in this category of it may take them a minute to get going. How do you feel? Do you would you agree with that assessment? I think there's been a consistent theme throughout this, these conversations I've been having today that maybe the older veteran teams it might take a second. How do you feel about that? I, I think that's definitely possible. Like I think especially with with Dallas, there's even an easy pullback. I mean, let's all remember this team started the season which was what 7 years ago yeah, seven um they started right. they, they they started they started 1-7 and 1 like they started slow even in a regular ah, season right. so there's no so i mean this team you kind of not uh i mean and obviously Jim Nill has been really big and Rick Bonus have been really big on oh how valuable it was for us to to be in the top 4 and be in the round robin and as much as they're talking about it as a positive, I think it also comes from a point of fear where they're wiping their brow when the format came out saying, thank God we didn't have to play a best of five where our season could be over because this team this team is old and this team is, I mean, the average ages came out today and that's even, I, I don't think that's even really accurate for the Stars because that includes everyone on the roster. And like, so the Stars have 18-year-old Thomas Harley on the roster in camp. Thomas Harley is just here to get experience. So his 18, his 18 year old age brings the average down. So they're, they've started slow. They've, um, the other thing though, I do think just with the stars, just to give them a positive kind of how this could work out well for them is I think we're going to have some chaotic, um, back and forth hockey. Like I know you guys are just talking about Edmonton. Like I am thrilled to watch Edmonton and Chicago score 15 goals a game. Like <laughs> right, I'm, I, right. I'm, I'm excited to watch that, but I think, teams that get to their structure quicker and are based on structure may have the benefit early on and that's really all Dallas is right now is they're built on their structure they're built on that and 
while a team like Colorado may be young and get up and running and everything like that, Dallas doesn't have to get the legs going to get defensive structure going. So mm. I, on the flip side, I wonder just if a team like Dallas, a team like St. Louis, while their older guys may take longer to score offensively, they can still keep games to two to one, three to two, just because structure doesn't really go anywhere. Um, and it's the one thing that has really been a strength of this team. That's an interesting thought. Like, so, so there's you, you could debate it because it seems like if we're going to make a, a draw a parallel to the regular season, the teams that play, you know, the firewag and high end skill, fast games tend to come out flying to start the season, and then you watch the league morph into one where structure starts to to you know have its way, and then the playoffs are very structured. I, I don't I don't have any clue if it, they're just going to start out structured, right? Does it take a while to get to that? Like when you're observing this team in, in whatever we're calling, you know, the 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 camp, like did you see them kind of click back into what you'd expect to see from the stars? Yeah, I mean they were they were once again camp was all about defensive structure. Like yes, they worked to squeeze out some more offense. We saw the defensemen jumping in a little bit more into the rush, but we saw we saw more and more of them locking things down. They didn't score a lot in camp, and they their defense was really good. And the best line was the the line they call down here the FCC line: Foxa, Cagliano, and Como, who just really are they're one of the best checking lines in the NHL in a league where we really don't have those pure checking lines anymore. And that's a line that they'll match up against whoever and they are have been able to did it this season they did it last season they can turn a game into a 45 minute game against another team's top line where you can just kind of shorten the lane and create these matchups that the stars in theory should be able to take better advantage of so i think the stars structure is there i think it's i think they'll be fine in that regard um i also think the other thing we talk about the defensive structure i think the guys you would worry about kind of not not buying into it but the guys that are already there like the Stars' young guys are already well entrenched into that structure. Miro Heishkinen is he's now 21, but he's one of the best structurally sound defensive players they have, and you don't have to worry about him getting into that. So um, I think the Stars will be in a pretty good spot to look like they looked like throughout the regular season. Now the issue is, can they score enough goals? Because you can't win you can't win games 0-0. Well, I guess you can win games 0-0 in the round robin, but you can't. <laughs> But you uh, you can't win game zero zero starting August eleventh or twelfth or whatever uh, the first round actually starts. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, it's inter- it's funny that you mention uh, Miro Heiskanen because I, I had somebody mention we we pulled a bunch of coaches and asked what you know what star player can carry their team in a tournament like this where everybody's healthy and everyone's rested. And he was, you know, and this was opened up to Crosby, McDavid, anybody. And somebody said him. They're like, this guy, this kid is so good. He's going to play half the game and is perfect for that team. Like, he is certainly capable of being an impact player in this tournament. Yeah, and he's the one guy where if you wanted a guy to be, if you wanted to have a young legs and energy at one spot, it's it's in that spot, right? Where right. he can play in this in this condensed schedule or however it looks, he can play 32, 33 minutes a night and not look tired at all. We've seen it in the regular season. We've seen it. We saw it in the playoffs last year. I mean, he is his skating alone is incredible to watch on a nightly basis. And then to see how well he controls the game. It's one of those things where, and I know right now the big thing, and I think it was even, I think I even saw it in the Down Goes Brown column today where they mentioned McCarr versus Hughes for the Norris for the next decade. And the one thing with Heishkin, and 
Heiskanen is better than both of those players from the blue line back, immensely better. He reads the game better. He's, he's so much better through the neutral zone, through the defensive zone. He just isn't the power play quarterback and the flashy guy like that. If he, if he had an ounce of the offensive flash that those guys had, we'd be talking about him as a Norris Trophy winner for the next 10 years. I don't know if he'll ever get that offensive flash, but that's, that's how good he is. And I say that as someone who does get to watch all those little things on 80, well, however long the season was this year, 68, 70 games. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, so, so the question is, uh, you know, will they be able to pri- provide enough offense? Did you start to see, like, the Stars, the Stars, Stars emerging? Like, I mean, I know they got off to that slow start. Like, a guy like Tyler Sagan is going to have to be a superstar, right? Like, have you seen signs that he's capable of getting there? There's signs. I mean, it's not. Mm. It's it's people. Stars fans aren't going to like that in camp. They tried him with the. They tried him with Hints and, and Garyanov and incredible amount of speed on that line. Yeah, but, I like that but line. But it's but the, the line does. But it, it doesn't work in the offensive zone because Tyler needs to be that volume shooter, and he's the only possession player on that line. Hints and Sagan. I mean, Hints and Garyanov. I, I apologize. Are not possession players in the offensive zone yet. They don't create offense for their teammates other than each other and so when they would get into the offensive zone like throughout the first three four days of camp it looked great because it's all based on transition drills and getting into the zone and they looked tremendous they were flying but then the minute you start scrimmaging and playing in the offensive zone and having offensive zone face-offs Tyler Sagan would have two three shot attempts in a 45 minute scrimmage because he all of a sudden has to be the puck winner the puck possession guy for Gurianov and Hintz so the line really it doesn't work in the offensive zone because you lose the best version of Sagan. Um, Sagan, it, it, it was, it's one of those things where you think about it and then you think, well, he should be able to play with anyone. And, and he can play with them. They can get up and down in transition. But you need, Tyler, you need Tyler Sagan to be a shooter, and he's not a shooter with those two. That's why I think him playing with a Jamie Benner or Alexander Radulov is so important because those are possession players that take, take space. They allow Tyler to kind of... Uh, to kind of move in and out of being both a passer and a shooter, whereas opposed to being with those younger guys, he has to just be the setup man, and you lose the best version of him. Joe Pavelski was the big addition this year. Doesn't have, a, you know, what we'd expect out of Joe Pavelski. I, I like if you're looking for veterans to root for in this tournament as a hockey fan, he's on the short list, right? Like this is a guy that's yeah. done it all. Classy guy. Like I love dealing with Joe Pavelski. Um, how likely is it, you know, considering his age, considering the pause, that we see a version of Joe Pavelski we haven't seen yet in Dallas? I think it's possible if, if he's with the right fit. I mean, I don't think the issue, I don't think it was a Joe Pavelski issue. I think it was a Dallas Stars issue this year. I think, I think it was more of Joe Pavelski's game hasn't changed. I mean, Joe was, Joe was never fast. He'll tell you that. He was, he was, never, he was never fast. It, That's your hot he, take of the... Yeah, uh, the yeah. <laughs> I mean, he, he was—he was never fast. He always played a game where he was kind of allowed to to go to open space and be there and be defensively responsible. And he was all of those things. It's just he went from playing with Brent Burns, who Brent Burns looked for his stick on every single power play. Brent Burns was always shooting for Joe Pavelski's stick. John Klingberg is a tremendous at walking the line and, and shooting, but John Klingberg shoots the puck differently. John Klingberg tries to float the puck through layers and shoots high. I mean, it's why some coaches get frustrated with him, actually. It's effective because it's a bit of a change-up what everyone's used to, but he doesn't shoot for Joe Pavelski's stick the way Brent Burns did. And that's another, like, that's just a minor detail where I, I was guilty of it, too. I thought, oh, well, 
John Klingberg will just replace Brent Bird's and Joe Pavelski's mind, and it'll be easy fix. That's that wasn't the case. They they took a while to get onto the same page, and they started to see a little bit more chemistry. The other thing too is you take um, Pavelski needs to play with a possession type player, like with either a Ben or a Radulov, like I mentioned before, because he needs somebody else to allow him to kind of creep around and, and get to the net and get to the areas where he you give him that one moment and he'll finish. Um, like I mean, he for a decade, what Joe Joe Thornton would draw space, draw space, and then and then and then find Pavelski, and, and he he'd finish. I mean, the stars don't have no no one has a Joe Thornton, and so the stars don't have a Joe Thornton, so they need to find somebody who can be kind of, for lack of a better word, the poor man's version of what Thornton did for Pavelski for so long. And I think they're they're trying to do that with Radulov. I think it can work, and just the issue is obviously Radulov is obviously not the pass first guy either. So. It's kind of finding the right fit because I think Pavelski can be that impact player, that X factor in this playoffs. But it uh, it really a lot of his game depends on if other guys are ready to play with him the right way. If that makes any sense. Mm. It's yeah right, and this isn't the time of year you want to be still figuring all that out, right? <laughs> Ideally, that's oh no no yeah like, yeah you you want I mean it looked like I I, I wonder if. If the season hadn't stopped, I wonder if we'd be having a better conversation about Pavelski going to the playoffs. Because, for example, he and Klingberg, for the first six months, they really didn't connect at all. But, like, in you looked at Febu- in February, I mean, there was a road trip. There was a three and four in New York. And they started, that was where I look at a time where they started getting on the same page. We started seeing them playing a little bit more of a two-man game on the power play. And I, I wonder if... If they, the Stars still had those final 13 games that they never got to play, if I'd be having a different tone right now where I'd be able to say, you know what, hey, we saw down the stretch, uh, Klingberg and Pavelski were really working well together. We saw this, and it's that's one of those things where I think the stoppage on one hand probably helps an older team like the Stars because it allows guys who would have the wear and tear of an 82-game season not to have that wear and tear, but at the same time, I think they also would have greatly benefited from those final 10, 12 games of Joe Pavelski really being that fit that they hope he is with that three-year deal. Right. Um, awesome. All right, Sean, we're going to wrap up with two questions I'm asking everybody. One, I'm looking for hinge players on every single team. And what I'm defining a hinge player as is somebody that the Stars successful hinge on. If if they have a big off or postseason, the Stars are going on a run. And I'm not allowing goalies, so you can't say Ben Bishop here. Who would be a guy that if he just – raises his game uh it, it makes a huge difference for this team uh well i i, I think uh, we just mentioned older players and not having the wear and tear of 82 games and it's jamie ben because i don't think jamie ben can play i don't think jamie ben can play jamie ben's game for 82 games anymore it's one of those things where i've i've made the case before that if there was an nhl player that you should load manage nba style it's jamie ben and i think jamie is a guy who if he comes in without the wear and tear of 82 games and he can be that impact player like we saw in the first round last year against Nashville and then not have to worry about everything tailing off like it kind of did in St. Louis where you had all the buildup. I think this could be the best and final best version of Jamie Benn we see since the Sochi Olympics. I think that is the potential for Jamie. Wow, Cause, I like, like that. And I don't, I mean, it's, I'm not saying that's that's promised. That's something where obviously we've talked earlier about maybe. No, that's what I heard, Sean. I heard you yeah, say yeah. Jamie Benn is going to be better <laughs> than he was in Sochi. That's what I heard. But, Best version since, Craig. Oh, yeah. Um, but but we, that, that, that's the potential I think you could see in the playoffs here because I think without having to worry about what 
he, he's a, he turned 31 two weeks ago. He's a much older 31 because of how he's played. And so I think this could be the best chance to get the best version of Jamie Ben. So I'll use him as the hinge player. I mean, that shouldn't be, I mean, that's the other thing that the stars deal with. Your second highest paid player shouldn't be, well, if he plays well, it should right. be that Right, that's a guy thing. you want to be able to pencil that, in, yeah. So you want to be able to, but it's just it's just not a reality for the, mm. for the stars right now. Okay, and then last thing. A gut feel. I'm asking guys because you guys are so close to this team. You just sometimes you get a feel for a team or you feel for a player. So I want you to complete this sentence. I just have a gut feeling that what? Oh, you're putting me in a bad spot here because my gut feeling is not good. <laughs> no, that's good. Finally, because everyone's like, oh, I got a gut feeling. This is the year. And I'm like, oh, wow, we got 15 people that think the team's going to win it. What do you think? What's your gut say? Uh, my gut feeling is the Stars get get ousted by the St. Louis Blues again in the second round. Mm. I think the I think the Stars. You look at the 2016, 2019, um, even some games this year. For me, I I believe the St. Louis Blues have a mental block on the Dallas Stars. I think that the if if the Dallas Stars there's two game seven losses to the Blues this year they had a game where both teams were within one point of each other for the best record in the Western Conference that was a no show for Dallas I think in the biggest games going back to last year you got game six at home in Dallas where they had a chance to close them out you had game seven in St Louis where Ben Bishop was great but St Louis dominated that game I think in the biggest games the Stars crumble against the Blues and I think they're going to get St Louis in the second round again and I think it's going to be the same thing. That's what I th- That's what my gut is All right. on. This. All right. You are on the record. Sean, thanks so much for doing this. Great to catch up, even for a few minutes. Uh, enjoy, the, enjoy the playoffs. It's going to be fun. Yeah. Thanks, Craig. All right. That was Sean Shapiro of the Athletic Dallas. And we are going to keep it going right now. We have Jesse Granger on the line who covers the Vegas Golden Knights. And this is a team. This is a, a popular. If you're talking, if we're saying the West is wide open, there's a lot of people hitching their wagons to the Golden Knights for a lot of reasons that we're going to get into. Um, first, Jesse, how are you? Thanks for doing this. I'm great. Thanks for having me, Craig. Oh, my pleasure. All right, let's start. I, we, we've talked a lot of goaltending in this in this pod with everybody, but the Golden Knights have what I think is one of the most interesting things. You know, the setups with Marc Andre Fleury and Robin Leonard, and my prediction is I see Robin Leonard as a guy that's going to go get hot and make a name for himself in this post. Like, if I had to do a breakout players or however, everyone knows who he is, but, like, guys that are going to step up and be great, I'm going to say Robin Leonard's one of those guys. How how crazy am I on that one? Um, I mean, not crazy. I mean, he's a really good goalie, and he's he's looked particularly sharp uh, in camp. I mean, we've all been making the joke since camp started that the Golden Knights can't score in practice, so hopefully that's just that Robin Leonard's amazing, and it's not that the offense <laughs> that indicative up. of a bigger <laughs> problem? <laughs> right, right. But, but I mean, he's he's a really good goal, and I think his style fits this team um, a lot better. Even, even though Marc-Andre Fleury, I, I love the guy, and I think he's an awesome goalie, I think Robin Leonard's style of safer, doesn't move as much, um, just kind of cuts the angles off, I think that fits the style of defense the Golden Knights play, and, and you mentioned everyone's picking them and, and hitching their wagon to them. I think that's largely because of the analytics, and the Golden Knights just don't give up a lot. And you don't give up a lot. You need a goalie who who doesn't give up soft goals and is just really, really solid in there. I think that's Robin Leonard. Yeah, and it's not a knock of Marc Andre Fleury, who is you know Hall of Famer and you know is 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 great. I, I just I, I it's a good fit. Um, I, I think you know Pete DeVore had that team. We, we saw. You know, they do the coaching change, which was 
pretty surprising considering the success that was there. And but uh, this is one of the teams I thought theoretically could say was was hurt by the pause because you did see signs under Pete DeBoer. It was like, oh, I see, I see what they're trying to do here. Like this, Pete's a good coach. There's no no debating that. What did you see when when they started to kind of get their legs under what he was trying to do? And do you think they're going to be able to continue that in the pause? Or yeah, after the I mean pause? the team definitely. Yeah, yeah, they they definitely played a lot better down the stretch, and it was more just consistency, and it's mostly exiting the zone. Um, when when the Golden Knights were inconsistent early in the season, it was just they couldn't get the puck out of their own end, and and they spent all their money on forwards, and they, they kind of go a little leaner on the blue the blue line, and I think that hurt them early in the year, and they, they just were turning the puck over too often and not getting it up to those forwards. And I think Pete DeBoer came in and redid the way they do their breakouts and shuffled some things around started playing Shea Theodore a lot more, which doesn't hurt, and it kind of fixed that exiting the zone problem. And then once they once they got over that, the rest of the team was just so good that they were able to actually show what they can do, these forwards, um, whereas I think they were just being held back a little bit earlier in the year from just problems getting out of their own end. Yeah, and, and, and you, know, you mentioned the D. So a couple of things. I, Shea Theodore is a guy, you see him every day, and I don't know if there's quite the league-wide appreciation. So, like again, this is another example of a guy, if Vegas goes on a run, I think we're going to all of a sudden have a bunch of Shea Theodore fans. What do you see from him that maybe people don't appreciate? Yeah, his skating's unbelievable. Um, it's just so smooth. He may not be the fastest like straight line guy, but he's just, he makes it look so effortless and he just covers the whole ice. And it, it's no coincidence that every person they put with him has the best numbers of their career when they play with Shea Theodore. It's because he covers 90% of the ice and you only have to worry about the other 10%. And I think Pete DeBoer, uh, if there's a player who benefited the most from the coaching change, I think it's Shea Theodore. And it's Pete DeBoer has experience working with offensively minded defensemen who he can play 30 minutes a night and he really lets them be creative and you see Brent Burns and Eric Carlson there at the end in San Jose and I think he came here and and Pete DeBoer has said I have a better appreciation for Shea Theodore than when I was a coach on the opposing bench I didn't realize how good he was and he's really let Shea Theodore be creative and be that offensive threat and Theodore's offensive numbers went through the roof there at the end of the year and I and I think he's one of those guys, like you said, who's primed for a big run. And, and if the Golden Knights go deep, he, he could be the most valuable. I, I actually would argue Shea Theodore is the most valuable player on this team over even Mark Stone's a better player. But yeah. I think there are, there are other people who can do fill in for Mark Stone. Like William Carlson is a great forechecker. He's a great defensive forward, too. Whereas Shea Theodore, he's the only one that can do that. And if he isn't playing well or if he were to get hurt or something, I think it's a major blow for this team because they just don't have anyone else like that on the blue line. But we've had a couple guys come up as potential dark horse con Smythes. I like Shea Theodore as a dark horse con Smythe candidate. Yeah, I mean, it, it it's possible. I mean, the guy, he was playing really well and he, he put up some points. The, the thing with Theodore, and it's part of the reason I don't, I'm, I'm hesitant to call him a future Norris Trophy finalist. Yeah. Like, I think he's got that in him, but the point totals just aren't there. And, you, like, when you compare all of his analytics, he's actually up there, if not better, than Yossi and Hedman and all of them this year. But just the, the actual goals and assists, the numbers aren't there for him. So we'll see. But, uh, I mean, he, yeah, as a dark horse, it's and definitely he, worth it. Correct me if I'm flyer. wrong. He will be most likely paired with Alec Martinez, right? Trade at acquisition. Yeah. How's, how's that? Right. Fit? That's got to be yep. pretty good. Yeah, and, and I think... Yeah, it, that 
it helped him um, because he he was playing with Derek England a lot early, like the last couple seasons, and that doesn't help because England's sure. on his last legs, I think. And then they put him with Nick Holden, and and that helped Nick Holden tremendously because Nick Holden was a guy who could like he was in and out of the lineup. Maybe he's the seventh guy. Will they play him? Will they not? Then they put him with Shea Theodore, and all of a sudden he's top ten in every analytical category you can find. And that that's the product of playing with Theodore. But now I think they put him with Martinez, who's a better skater than Holden. Um, he's not Theodore, but he's a little more offensive, and he, he knows how to get the puck up the ice. And I think that allows Theodore to be himself a little more. Whereas with Holden in England, he was kind of holding back because he had to make sure he'd get back in time. And with yeah. Martinez, he has Let's talk about the top him. line, which I would assume would be Carlson, Pacioretty, and Mark Stone. And you can correct me if I'm wrong. That, like, that stacks up with anybody in the game. I will throw those three guys out there. Like that's you, you yeah. can go toe to toe with anybody if that's your top line. Yeah, well, if Mark if if yeah, Max Pacioretty sure. is able to play, I mean, right now he didn't travel with the team to Edmonton, yeah. which is scaring everybody. Um, he he had a, he suffered a minor injury in camp and when it happened, Peter DeBoer basically said, it's not a big deal. He'll be on the ice before we even go up to Edmonton. And it's taken a little longer than they thought. And I actually just spoke with him right before I came on here. And he basically said the reason Patrick didn't travel was they weren't sure what the setup was going to be like in Edmonton. They didn't know how available ice was going to be for like a rehabbing player, not part of practice stuff like that so they thought it'd just be easier if he stayed in vegas where they knew they had ice and and apparently if as long as he flies a charter up there there's no extended quarantine or anything for him so that i don't think it's as serious as it sounds when they when you when you yeah he's left left behind in vegas Vegas that's a scary thought right that sounds like really bad yeah so i I don't think it's quite that bad but there is definitely some concern um and if and if max patrick is not able to go that first line's not nearly as formidable as like you said with with those three they're just so good and mark stone and william carlson are just constantly hounding the other team and they're the four check is so good and they they create so many turnovers and disturbances and then you've got max patch who's one of the best finishers in the league to to get the puck to once you create those disturbances so i think not only just skill wise are they good but i think they fit stylistically um, paul really stashy well who i love is on my candidate of like older player who i'm curious to see if they'll be able to get going how how did he look in in the lead up here yeah, um, actually, shockingly well. Um, him, him Marcheseau, and Smith were probably the most consistent okay. line in all the scrimmages that they played. They controlled play quite a bit. And, and I think with Stasny, physically, I don't know if he's going to be able to get up to speed, but he's just so smart. Right, I don't know right. if it matters. Um, I, like, he, he thinks his... The reason he's so good is just he thinks the game so much faster than sure. those guys, and he just sees things that other guys don't, and that will ne- that'll never go away. So, can he last for a long playoff run? He's had some injury problems since he came to Vegas, so we'll see. But I think he he looked sharp in camp, and maybe he's a guy who this rest helped because he doesn't mm. have that wear and tear. Um, you don't need season. a lengthy answer here. I'm just curious: Are we going to see Peyton Krebs at all? Okay. I don't think so. I think it's, like it's got it's not good news for the Golden that. Knights if we see. All right, I was just curious. Like that's right. you know that's one of those wild cards. I, I wasn't sure what to think there, with the, with some of these young players. All right, last thing, Jesse. We got. I'm finishing with the same two questions with everybody. Um, the first is I am looking for a hinge player on each team that and goalies are not eligible. That if this guy goes, it's going to be it's a good omen for the Vegas Golden Knights. Like their success hinges on him raising his game. 
who is that guy? Like, if this guy goes off, you're like, oh, boy, they're going to be a tough out. Yeah, you you stole my answer. Yeah, no goalies. It's too easy. Goalies. I think if yeah. I think if Flurry is Flurry, yeah. If, if he's Flurry, then this team yeah, is yeah, going yeah, to the yeah. Stanley Cup final. <laughs> but but I yeah. Other than the goalies, I would oh, okay. say oh, Alex okay. Tuck is a big one because we we've talked about the Golden Knights top six and their top six matches up against pretty much anyone. But basically for three years now, this team has struggled to find production in the third line, and they they just can't seem to find a combination and. Alex Tuck is a top six player who's playing on the third line because he, they just have so many skilled forwards. And I think, I mean, he had a horrible year this year. He scored eight goals mm. after having a 50-point season last year, and he was banged up. He kept getting injured, and he just couldn't seem to get right. And talking to him, this has allowed him to rehab and fully rehab, not try to rush back like he had maybe the first couple times this year. And he's looked good in camp. And if, if Alex Tuck is at his best, He's an absolute nightmare matchup for anyone on that third line because you just don't see guys that big and that fast right. with those kind of hands all that often. So I think if Alex Tuck shows up, all of a sudden that top six is already so good. Now the third and, and Tuck is playing with Nick Waugh and Chandler Stevenson, who both played really, really well down the stretch. So that third line projects as an offensive minded line. So if he can get going, now all of a sudden you've got the top six, you've got that line to deal with, and then the fourth line is Reeves, Carrier, and Cousins, which is just Yeah, I wouldn't want to be on the ice against that line to match up against. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, nobody's <laughs> signing up to play against those three guys. So if if that third line and Alex Tucker are going, all of a sudden you don't yeah. get a breath when you're playing this team because it's top six, then the third line, then that fourth line to to beat the hell out of you. And it's it's gonna be a really really tough matchup but you have to have that third line working in order Good answer. for that to go. All right, last thing, I'm looking for a gut feeling from the beat writers. And this is it doesn't have to be necessarily a prediction or it can be about a player, but I want you to finish this sentence. I just have a gut feeling that what? What's your gut feeling on this team on something? Uh, mm. Mark Stone is going to dominate. He he has looked and and like I I've talked to the players and and like I was talking to Nate Schmidt and he said some guys after months off they come back and they're just right in the rhythm of it and it's like how did you how are you this good after not taking any like skating at all for the last two months and Mark Stone is that guy for this team and he's just been unstoppable in the scrimmages and he just controls everything and obviously he's the best player on the team so this isn't going out on that big of a limb but I I expect Mark Stone to put up some massive numbers and I think maybe get a little more national. I mean, he, he's all, he's already starting to, he's, he's kind of becoming that bar cop where <laughs> right, everyone right, says he's right. underrated. So he's, he's not really yeah, he's like, more. he's like the new Louis Erickson but, but back think, in Louis Dallas stars days. Right. Like it was, everyone's like, but he's better. He's like a right, uh, rich right. man. Louis Erickson, I guess. So, yeah. So, so I, I don't want to say he's not getting enough credit, but I think by the end of this playoff run, Mark Stone will be, Thought of a lot. That might be the better cons might pick. If the if the Golden Knights win it all, it might just be because Mark Stone decides he's just going to dominate. Yeah, I mean, I like that, Jesse. Thanks so much for doing this, man. I I really appreciate it. Awesome, Uh, Vegas. For those who haven't followed, they are part of the round robin portion of the playing tournament. They play Colorado, St. Louis, and Dallas. The Golden Knights' first game is August third versus Dallas in Edmonton, which now brings us to Adam Vingan of the Athletic Nashville, our Predators beat writer. Um, there's a lot of 
there's a lot of um, what's the word I would say in, uh, intrigue around the series. One because the, the other team on the other side of the bracket, the Coyotes, decided to um, have a soap opera, and the Nashville Predators um, are uh, I, I, you know we, we've we've had a couple teams described as a wild card. I would say they are the premier wild card in the West at the very least. First of all, Adam, thanks for doing this. Of course, thanks for having me, Craig. <laughs> it's my pleasure. Adam, um, so, so for what's it's the Predators? They're not. They don't have any soap operas, right? They're the 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 same team in this in this equation. I'm not saying for once. Not that Nashville is problematic, but they've had some their own issues. Certainly, and this regular season, you know, they had their fair share of issues. Uh, of course, the biggest being a coaching change yeah. in early January, firing Peter Laviolette and hiring John Hines the next day. Um, but when you look at where this team was when the regular season abruptly ended, I believe they were in the second wild card spot in the Western Conference, but they were by no means a lock to make the playoffs. And and watching this team this season, you know, for most of the season, as I watched them every game, they left you wanting more a lot. Right. Right. You, that's you, a, like that's the best description of the Nashville Predators. They left uh, you wanting more. It's not quite the uh, the advertising tagline that you <laughs> that you want, but but you we've seen the core of this roster do incredible things over the past four or five years. Of course, the Stanley Cup final run in 2017, winning the President's Trophy the following year. So they're an incredibly talented bunch. They know how to win. Uh, of course, they have yet to win the Stanley Cup, but then you look up and down the roster, and with the exception of Roman Yossi, and and perhaps Ryan Ellis, though his season was shortened by a concussion, every player on this team, I felt like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They, they, They did not live up to expectations. I mean, some players met expectations, I would say, but a lot of the big name players did not meet expectations, namely Ryan Johansson, Victor Arvidsson, Philip Forsberg, and Matt Duchesne. And there are others as <laughs> I mean, those well. Are some, I don't want to, you know, those are some important players you just named. They are, they are very important players. But that's why I think this format and the situation that we have in, in our world actually will be of great benefit to the Predators. I feel like this team is better positioned to make a run in the playoffs under this format than they would have if they would have squeaked into the playoffs as the second wildcard team and we would have had a normal 16-team Stanley Cup playoff. I really do believe that the pause was uh, of great benefit to John Hines particularly in terms of getting a, a pulse of his team that he wasn't able to do while having to take over a team in season. And I just think that a lot of players who struggled this season specifically the, the top players I mentioned, had an opportunity to take a look in the mirror, so to speak, or refresh or recover from injury. And now I feel they are in a better position to win a round or two in this postseason, at least, than I thought they would have if we would have had a normal Stanley Cup playoff in April. Mm. It's interesting for me to hear you say that John Hines was able to benefit um, because I don't know, you know, I don't know what the coaches – how are they able to spend their time? When you talk to John, like what? How how do you familiarize yourself more with a, a roster or a team when you're you know quarantined or whatever we were all been doing for the last right? Months? 
I think part of it was he just had an opportunity to watch video and sit down and consume video from his time uh, with the Predators and the time uh, before him, the 41 games that he played before they made the coaching change. You know, he had re- he and his coaching staff had regular meetings uh, with players throughout the pause over Zoom. For example, he and Matthew Shane live on the same street in suburban Nashville, so they had some socially distanced meetings in their backyards. Um, so they had... Uh, he had the opportunity to get to know the players and, and reset expectations. He had, you know, he had the opportunity to have exit-type meetings with these guys, but with the added benefit of you'll have the opportunity, hopefully, to come back later this summer and, and rectify the things that we feel you need to rectify. Um, and just the fact that he had a training camp to begin with. I mean, he had two uninterrupted weeks of practice to – put his stamp on this team in terms of what he expects from them systems-wise. He was able to put the line combinations together and the defense pairs that he wanted. And that that sort of uh, speaks to what I was saying, that I feel like this team has a better chance to look more cohesive under John Hines now than they would have if they would have made the playoffs under normal circumstances. Yeah, so they may be, you know, one of the winners of the, of this process. And it's like I, I want to do a quick plug here for your story on John Hines um, about him and Taylor Hall and just how he was able to maximize and and you know Taylor Hall was a guy that I don't want to say had similar reputation as a guy like Matt Duchesne or some of these players you've mentioned but always didn't didn't always get maximized I would say how do you see it's interesting to hear you say mention Matt Duchesne how do you see that relationship and and what more can you see out of Matt Duchesne in a Predators uniform. Yeah, that's a good question. And, and I certainly thought about that as I was writing that story. I mean, yeah. one other player that came to mind as I was writing that story, you mentioned Matt Duchesne. The one player that popped into my head was Philip Forsberg. Um, but in, in terms of Matt Duchesne, he had a career year last year. We know that in between Ottawa and Columbus, had a taste of the postseason, which he didn't normally have with Colorado and Ottawa. Um, when he signed last July 1st, it was like David Poyle capturing his white whale. I mean, he had been after Matt Duchesne for a long time. Um, <laughs> right, right. So, and the thing about Matt Duchesne, and please correct me if I'm wrong, Craig, but the thing about Matt Duchesne, I think he had 70 points last season in his contract year. That was sort of an outlier for him. I mean, he, he's more of a 55 to 65 point guy, I feel like, you know, on, in, a, in, a, in a solid season. Um, you know, Matthew Shane to me has never been the kind of top center that a team who has Stanley Cup aspirations can put front and center. I feel like he is one of those complementary centers. He's a perfect number two center on a good team, I feel like. And I think the same thing can be said of Ryan Johansson. Like, if we were doing yeah. tiers, I know you like to do tiers. I love, t- you know, I love of, tiers, Adam. I, oh, let's I do some tiers right tiers. now. So. <laughs> I, I I think if you were to do a tier a, a tier format a tier story about number one centers, I would say Ryan Johansson is probably like a high tier three at best, maybe a low tier two, but I would say he's like a high to mid tier three, and I think Matt Duchesne might be in that same realm. But if you put them together, hopefully you have a top six that you know a top two top six centers that can carry a team to success. But with Matt Duchesne. For him, I would like to see more goal scoring. I mean, Ryan Johansson 
we saw him score 30-plus goals, I believe, early in his career in Columbus, but he's not been a goal scorer for the Nashville Predators. Matt Duchesne has reached 30 goals, I think, it twi- I think twice has been a 30-goal scorer in the NHL. I think John Hines would like to see some more goal scoring from Matt Duchesne. But I feel like when you, when you, t- when you reference that Taylor Hall story, I feel like if John could get something like that out of Taylor Hall, I think he should be able to get the same things out of the top players on the Predators, Matt Duchesne, Ryan Johansson, and Philip Forsberg specifically. Mm. Um, interesting. The D, I don't know if there's, there's, it's not a lot to talk about here. It's just really good. Like this is, you know, yes. Yossi and Ellis together is is amazing. And, and like, I, I don't want to sleep on that because when you talk about how championship teams are built, it's, those are the players you need. And then, if we're, and I even mentioned Ekholm. So like that's, you know, there's a lot of question marks, but it's if you want to be solid in one place, that it's D. And and I'm gonna so I'm gonna I'm just gonna bypass the D completely and go right to the <laughs> goaltending because fair enough. Um, you know, I read in your coverage that they it's it sounds like Pekarine looks really good. And so if you would have told me before, you know, not knowing anything which goalie, I, I might have said, hey, based on performance, it's not Pekarine. But what you know, what do you, how do you see that playing out? It's basically, especially from what you've seen on him. It's an incredibly intriguing question, um, just because, to put it in perspective, Pecorino has started 89 consecutive playoff games for the Predators, which wow. dates to 2010. Uh, the last time a non-Pecorino Predators goaltender started a game in the playoffs for the franchise was 2008, and that was Dan Ellis, just to put things <laughs> into perspective. Um, so if UC Soros were to start game one, that would be a big deal. And down the stretch, he started, I believe it was 15 of the Predators' final 21 regular season games. And under normal circumstances, I know I keep going back to that, but under normal circumstances, I believe UC Saros, if he would have maintained his level of play down the stretch, he would have started game one against whichever top team the Predators would have drawn in the first round. But, you know, we talked about players having an opportunity to refresh. I mean, Pecorino is, is near the top of that list. I mean, he had a rough go of it in the second half of the season. What's interesting is if you break down the statistics of their, of their performance by, by you know, game situation, five on five, they were pretty similar goaltenders this year. The biggest difference was when the Predators were shorthanded. Statistically, it is not a stretch to say that Pecorino was the worst goaltender in the NHL when shorthanded. And that had a big uh, uh, played a big role in not just the Predators' penalty kill being a you know in the bottom third of the league, but Pecorino's statistics being overall significantly worse looking than UC Saros. Um, but when it's it's really going to be interesting. You know, John Hines spoke today. He he claimed that he had not yet made a decision as to how the goaltenders will shape out shape up in the exhibition game, which is Thursday against the Dallas Stars. And I'm and I'm not discounting the possibility that both goalies are going to play in this series. They start out with three games in four days, um, and with games two and three being back to back. And I know teams aren't used to playing back to back games in the postseason, uh, but I would not be surprised to see both of them. I spoke to David Poyle on Friday, and he told me that you know this is going to be a postseason where you truly see the value and importance of having two very good goaltenders. And I think the Predators are in a good position, but just based on the body of work under John Hines, personally, I would have a hard time not going to UC Saros in game one. Mm, interesting. All right. All right. That'll be, we'll, we'll see how that plays out. All right. Last thing, Adam, 
I'm asking the same final two questions to everybody coming on today. And the first is, I'm looking for a hinge player on every single team. And what I mean by that is not necessarily like the star or definitely can't be the goalie. I'm saying no goalies allowed. But if this guy steps up, has a big postseason, you're confident saying the Predators are going on a run. Who would be that hinge guy? It, for me, it, it has to be Ryan Johansson. Yeah. Um, just because of the season he had. He was overwhelmingly the Predators' most disappointing player during the regular season. He had 36 points in 68 games, which is... Which is uh, Jeez, I didn't realize that. It's yeah, that great it, it, for Ryan Johansson. It's, it's, as for an $8 million number one center, that is not great. But then you look at his postseasons, you exclude last postseason. They lost in six games to the Stars in the first round. Of course, everybody remembers how dominant he was up until the point where he was injured in the Predators' run to the Stanley Cup final. He was hurt. I believe it was game four of the Western Conference final. Had to have emergency thigh surgery. He had 13 points in 14 games in that postseason. The following postseason, when they played the Avalanche in the first round and then lost to the Winnipeg Jets in seven in the second round, he had 14 points in 13 playoff games. So that's 27 points in 27 games. If, if Ryan Johansson can find some semblance of his former self you know, in this, in this run, however long it goes, I think the Predators are going to be in really good shape. I mean, there are a lot of really important players on this team. Roman Yossi, Ryan Ellis, Pecorine, UC Saros, Philip Forsberg. But I really do think it hinges on Ryan Johansson. If he does not show up, I don't think this team is going anywhere. Oh, that's good. Good answer. All right. Second and final question. I just, because you are, you're so plugged into this team, I just like to get gut feels from guys and, and how they feel going into this. So not necessarily looking for, you know, a hard in line prediction. Maybe it's about a player, but if I want you to finish the sentence for me. I just have a gut feeling that what? Ooh, ooh. I might have to recycle an answer that I used before, but I, I have a, I just have a gut feeling that the Predators are going to have more success under this postseason format than they would have had under normal circumstances. I mean, I, I believe that, I mean, the, the, the series against Arizona is very intriguing to me because I look at Arizona's roster, especially their forwards, and I think to myself, this team should score a lot more than it does. You have Taylor Hall, you have Phil Kessel, you have Clayton Keller, you know, you would think that they would have more offense, but they don't. And the Predators' offense was up and down, but I trust their offense a little bit more than I trust the, the Coyotes' offense. But I, I would not be surprised to see the Predators not only win this series against Arizona, but then to upset one of the round-robin teams. Um, I'm not sure how much further they would go after that, but if you were to tell me they were to beat Arizona and then beat Colorado or Vegas, for example, like I would not be entirely shocked. So I, I just my gut feeling is that the Predators are going to have a better showing in this postseason than they would have had if we would have had our normal Stanley Cup playoffs. Awesome. Adam, thank you so much for doing this, son. It was good to hear right. from you. Always a pleasure. Thank you very Likewise. much. Likewise. The National Predators are facing the Arizona Coyotes in the play-in series in the Western Bubble. Predators and Coyotes' first game is August 2nd. And with that, we are going to take a quick break. If you're looking for a way to support the show and reach our audience and grow your business, 
you mostly probably just want to grow your business. I don't know how much you want to support this show. But if you want to do something that hits on all three, there's really no better way than advertising with an athletic podcast. And especially if your business is related in any way to the world of hockey, most of our listeners are in and around the sport. And I'm telling you, like when I say they're in it, like these they're listeners that, that have been on the podcast. Like this this is a way to really tap in to that world. And what better way to promote your business than through the Full 60 or one of our other podcasts here at The Athletic. So to advertise on this show or any others that you listen to, I would encourage you to go to theathletic.com slash podcast ads. There you can fill out a very simple form and we'll get back to you right away. We won't. I certainly won't. But somebody here who is much more professional than I am will get back to you right away. So go to theathletic.com slash podcast ads today. All right, coming up next, we have the great Ryan Clark, beat writer for the Colorado Avalanche, and my team, my pick to win the Stanley Cup this year, or at least come out of the West. I don't know if I want to really, I want to hear from Ryan first before I really lock that in. Ryan, how are you? Thanks for doing this. Good, buddy. How are you? I don't think great Ryan Clark is uh, is necessary. It's too kind. I would say maybe tepid, but great. I don't tepid. Know, how are you? Tepid. I've been called tepid. That's I hate that word. <laughs> I, I mean, it's not like it's a compliment. It's like, hey, this is my friend Craig. Like, oh, Craig. Like, what's he like? Oh, he's tepid. Mm, yeah, well, that's. Geez, thanks. Okay. No. Um, I'm gonna go away now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't go away because I want to talk about the Avs. I love this team. I, I've just decided mentally I'm all in on the Avalanche. And you're either going to have to hop on the bandwagon with me or talk me out of it. That's what this next 10 minutes are going to be um, for a lot of reasons. Well, one, I, I, I'm in the camp that young and fast and skilled is a huge advantage in this thing. That describes Colorado to a T. Um, how... You've been watching them up close. Are they? Are they? Did they look young, fast, and ready to go? Like, did they give that vibe in camp? The Abs are in a position where they're they have all the quickness that you would expect, but there's a sense of more experience and understanding the moment. So when you look at last year's team, it was a team that yes had Philip Grubauer, Ian Cole, Matt Calvert added to the mix in the sense of these guys who have been through playoffs, <clears throat> and in Cole and Grubauer's case have won Stanley Cups. And for the large bulk of that team, it was a group that, yes, had the Nashville experience, but losing to San Jose in seven games was really kind of that foundational piece. When you look at everything Joe Sackett did in the offseason by adding Nazem Kadri, Andre Burakovsky, uh, Giannis Donskoy, Pierre Bird Belmar, you know, these were players that in some cases have won the Stanley Cup. And in a really strange coincidence, the, the reason Pierre Belmar did not win a Stanley Cup was because of Ian Cole. Uh, and it's kind of wild. How, well, well, excuse me, it was because of Andre Burakovsky. Whereas if like Giannis Donskoy didn't win a Stanley Cup because of Ian Cole and the P- Pittsburgh Penguins. So it's all these strange reasons. But when you look at this team now, I mean, it, it has all these elements people expect. But it's one that understands like what's at stake and understands that like, look, you have everybody healthy. It's been a bizarre year in a bizarre format, but at the same time, there's this understanding that like, this is the year to get it done. Mm. Um, It's funny. And and listeners will know, I've brought this up a couple of times. I I think there's a potential for some veteran players. If you're older, like I I worry about slow starts. You wrote kind of the opposite with Eric Johnson 
as as a guy in in one of your camp observations that you wrote this week that he was really noticeable uh, during over the last couple of weeks. What did you see from him? And and that's that's an interesting thing if he's gonna if he's gonna be Eric Johnson in this thing. You know, the thing that probably stood out the most was just how smooth and effortless he made everything look and how active he was in both ends. So in that camp observation, there are two videos that really reinforced that. So one is there was a defensive zone clearance that he just absolutely cut in front of. He had a one on two, but had the wherewithal to play a drop pass to Miko Rontanen, who Rontanen within a few strides gets in the center of the ice in the slot and just rips the wrist and he scores. Another one was he had the puck. Pierre Bird Belmar was pressuring uh, Eric Johnson, and Johnson made a couple moves that saw Belmar go to the ice and still attack towards net. And even when Belmar, you know, got back up and tried to get positioning, he never really truly had an angle. And like this is what Eric Johnson was doing all throughout camp. And hmm. people look at him as, you know, okay, he's 32 next to Belmar. If he's not the second oldest, he's among the oldest on a team where a lot of players are still in their 20s. But yeah. the way he was able to work and operate, it just really adds to this theme that, okay, the Avalanche know what they have with Kale McCarr and Samuel Girard. We saw that during the postseason. Ryan Graves has been one of their bigger revelations. It's a toss-up between him and Valeri Nichushkin for that title. Ian Cole is someone that when you look at not only just his offensive numbers but defensive metrics, he's enjoying what might be the most complete season of his career, and that's after coming off dual hip surgery. But the two questions of this team defensively were, how is Nikita Zadorov going to look? But more importantly, what's this going to be like for someone like Eric Johnson? And if the, the thought is if Eric Johnson can take what he did in camp and translate it into a postseason setting, this is going to make this team even more secure on the back end considering – when you look at certain metrics like high danger goals allowed as well as high danger chances allowed, the Avalanche were a top six defense in five on five uh, situations throughout the entire season. Mm. Um, one of the reasons I love this team, or maybe the biggest reason, is I, I think this is Nathan McKinnon's time. Like this guy, he's such a stud. I, we're going to see it, uh, you know, on the on the biggest stages. Um, so first, your your impressions of Nathan McKinnon and. Um, I, we've been talking a little bit about Consmite Dark Horses. I, he might be a Consmite favorite for me. Am I, am I out of am I crazy on that? I, I, I love Nathan McKinnon. I mean, I know that's not a hot take, but geez, he's so good. The really weird and bizarre thing about McKinnon is this. It's kind of like this universal understanding that he's good, but the thing is people still might be waiting for that breakout performance where there's just this general sort of like, yes, he's McDavid and Crosby good. It's kind of one of those... It's understood moments, but at the same time, it's not like one of those, oh, it's a universally agreed upon opinion, or maybe it is, but just, again, when you look at how this league markets, there are going to be certain names and faces you see, and maybe Patrick Kane's not a fair one, because Patrick Kane is Stanley Cups and MVPs, and he's been in the league longer, but like McKinnon's typically not one of those first names or faces you see, and maybe a strong playoff, you know, maybe winning a Stanley Cup or getting a consummate does that form. But look, to sit here and say that he could be the possible player that really takes these posts, these playoffs by storm is not a surprise to a lot of people at all. But in terms of how he looked in camp, he was the same dangerous, fast guy. You definitely heard him speak up a lot um, during camp. There was a moment where he and Nikita Zadorov uh, were going back and forth because he accused Zadorov of cheating on a particular series. And Nikita Zadorov basically was like, 
no, you're just mad that someone got the best of you. But the thing is, is that's just Nathan. <laughs> that's McKinnon. said. Good, good answer. That's what I want to I hear. I mean, I mean, like, but that's just Nathan McKinnon. And you know, the yeah. thing is this: like, when you're at the team's practice facility, yes, it's it's a more concise area, but because of all the air conditioning, you can kind of hear what's going on, but you can't, along with just the natural echoes. But being in a place like Pepsi Center, where again it's empty and it's cavernous, you can hear things more clearly. And McKinnon was always barking about something. And that's just his personality. Like, that's the kind of player he is. So the way he's been looking, the way he's been performing, he, he seems like, you know, look, he's aware of, like, right now is the time, and that's kind of been the theme for this whole team. Yeah, like, so I, I guess where I say, like, we know he's good. I think he's, like, McDavid, Crosby. Good. Like, that, I think it needs to be McKinnon, McDavid, Crosby, like, when we're having those conversations as, you know, the, and it, it usually takes a run, like, I would expect this team to go on. I think the the caveat before I you know really get behind this team is I wanted to hear your thoughts on Miko Rantanen and how he looked and because I you know I wasn't sure what to expect from him. Can we expect to see kind of vintage Miko Rantanen out there? Miko Rantanen might have been one of the more underrated performers in camp for a couple reasons. Yes, there's the offensive components he provides, the playmaking, the ability to shield the puck, but what really stood out more than anything was his defensive presence. This was someone who was aggressively stick checking and that might not sound important because his job is a playmaker. But when you put Gabriel Landeskog on the second line and you have Andre Burakovsky with Ronson and Nathan McKinnon, it's a line that hypothetically you think should be able to get production at a higher rate. But then the question is who becomes the F1 in that system? Because for all the things McKinnon does, defense is not really one of his stronger areas. It's something he's seen improvements at, but it's not like he's Landeskog back there where Landeskog is someone that just, again, if they needed him to play penalty kill, he absolutely could, but they just don't want to tax him because he's already in excess of 20 minutes a night. And so to see what Miko Rontanen has done by being that forward who can work in the corners to, to find possession or can be someone who can be the high forward who pressures in those situations, like that's just it. It's like, he seems like for that first line, and it seems so weird to say, but it's almost like you could argue his role on that line is going to be just as important as McKinnon's. Because, yes, McKinnon is there to do a lot of different things, whether that's distract, facilitate, destroy, you name it. But with Rontanen, it's all those things, but it's so much of what he does that's subtle that it might go unnoticed. But if it, but if there's a mistake and he doesn't do his responsibility, then the whole world's going to be able to see it. So. He's going to be someone that, like, yes, just the way he's looked, he even looks a little bit leaner. He He's another guy who looks like he is ready for this moment. But, again, it's for all these reasons that might, most people might not be aware of. All right. We're winding down, running out of time. But I do – I probably should ask you, who's the goalie for the Colorado Avalanche? I, that would be – I would like Someone with pads and a giant stick <laughs> and a mask design. All really, right. to be serious. Uh, no one really knows at this moment because, you know, Jared Bednar has usually had these qualifiers of, you know, this person built up trust with us in the past, but we also want to give this person a shot. This time it was just simply, they both have an opportunity. We'll see what's what and go from there. So maybe this is an answer that kind of gets formulated at some point between the exhibition and the three round Robin games, or maybe it comes after but for now, that's the biggest question facing this team in the sense of what will they look like going into the round of 16? 
Awesome. All right, last two questions, and I'm asking every writer these same two questions. The first is I'm looking for a hinge player from every team, and this isn't necessarily the best player. It can't be a goalie. I'm eliminating goalies because that's the easiest answer. If this guy has a huge uh, or, or overachieves to his abilities, that's the Avalanche go on a run. Who would be that hinge player that their postseason hinges on? Nazem Kadri for a few mm, reasons. Love it. You know, let's let's start here. I mean, everyone's going to talk about can you stay out of the penalty box? Because you think about the last two postseasons he's had. In six games, he's had a combined 38 penalty minutes. Now, granted, they played the Bruins, and the joke has been, well, the Bruins are in the Eastern Conference, so it may not be a worry till you know, the Stanley Cup final if both teams make it that far. But it's not even just that, but it's also just the idea that when everybody looked at last year's Avalanche team, the thought was there's talent, but this is a one-line team. And bringing in someone like Kadri added – instant credibility to the fact that they have finally found some supplementary figures and with what he does as a second line center both offense and defensively is so crucial to what they need to do to win games so for a player like him to be productive and stay out of the box as much as possible is going to be huge because the wild part is Kadri's been in this league for 10 years now and he only has 19 playoff games it's it's weird to think you'd think the figure would be higher but like he has 10 points in those 19 games. So if he can keep up that production, stay out of the box and play these critical roles, he seems like he could be a guy that if he's consistent, it could really help this team going a long way because that line of him, Vladislav, excuse me, Valeri Nichushkin and Gabriel Landeskog, mm -hmm. it's a line that could be so multifunctional. It's experimental yeah. in a lot of ways, but it seems like he could do a lot of damage. Awesome, Ryan. And the last question is, I'm looking just for a gut feel here, not necessarily a prediction of wins or losses or how far. Could be a player, just a feeling you have as a beat writer. So finish the sentence for me. I just have a gut feeling that what? It's 2020 and the Brooklyn Dodgers could win the Stanley Cup final because <laughs> nothing about this year makes There's absolute no gut sense. feelings this year, eh? No, because I mean... <sighs> You know, look, you certainly understand why people are asking these questions. And it's not that you're trying to be completely sardonic, but the reality is this. No one knows what's going to happen this year. No, like just no one yeah, knows. No one so does. We and, may and, not and even this, get out of round one. Like who knows, right? Like this could be, a, yeah. Exactly. So in terms of the avalanche, it's it looks like a team that is ready to take the next step. But at the same time, People thought Tampa's playoff run last year was a coronation, and it yeah. wasn't. So in the sense of what could happen with this team in terms of a, a gut feeling, let's just say this. This is going to be a prove-it playoff series, and that minimum they've got to get to the second round, and in some cases win the second round because yeah. this is where they were knocked out last year. And so if they can get to the conference final, that's going to tell people so much of what they need to know. If they don't get to the conference final in a year where they have a combined 12 restricted and unrestricted free agents, that's going to provide more insight into what this offseason could look like, considering they have roughly around $24 million in cap space, which might sound like a lot. But, Craig, as you know, $24 million can disappear really quickly with a team mm. that young and that talented. Awesome. Ryan, thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. Good to hear from you. Likewise. Thank you so much for having me. All right, thanks, Ryan. The Colorado Avalanche, they are playing in the round robin. Dallas, Vegas, and St. Louis, first game in the Edmonton bubble is against the reigning champion St. Louis Blues on August 2nd. And now we get to welcome in Mike Russo, who is the host of, I mean, you know him, of course, is the best beat writer in the nation, host of Straight From The Source podcast on The Athletic, for my money, at least the 
fifth best hockey podcast at the Athletic. At worst, I would say, maybe, maybe even top four. <laughs> oh, Mike, what's happening? We've talked a lot. I feel like me and you talk every day. This is just now we're doing it with a recording button on. I know. I feel like we do. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm just, uh, you know, what's really refreshing. I'm trying to find uh, NBC Sportsnet on my uh, on my uh, TV here, so I can watch a little exhibition <laughs> hockey. Uh, about oh, hour. it's exciting! It's it's good to be back. It's um, and it really so, is. Yeah, it is. And you know, who knows how this is gonna go? I'm just happy. Like this whole pod, we're now you know 16 of 18 writers in or whatever we are in the, in this pod that I'm doing, and it's just been good to talk. Like, hey, this third line center has looked good. You know, what I mean? it's just I love. You know, it's minutia hockey talk, and it's been so refreshing. And yours, you're gonna be covering a series again with the Wild and the Canucks that. Um, I, I don't have I, I have no feel for in terms of who I think is going to win. I don't have a ton of interest in, and I'm like I'm going to be completely honest because I don't feel like either of these teams are, from an astral perspective, are going to make a run. But who knows how any of this is going to go? So I, I would be curious. Like Minnesota was starting to to click. Like how seriously should we take this wild team right now? In in a anything could happen tournament. Well, I, I think it's exactly that. I, you know, I look at, at Vancouver as a team that the Wild can beat uh, if they get goaltending. I think they match up extremely well. It's crazy when you look at their stats. Uh, they're almost identical. I mean, a point apart, goals almost yeah. identical, special teams almost identical. Um, the game in February that was Dean Evison's first uh, victory as a National Hockey League coach uh, was one of the best games I covered all season. Uh, both teams, uh, Wild rallied back, got a late, late Alex Galchenyuk goal to force overtime and then a shootout winner. And um, and you know what? I think that uh, a lot of fans are going to watch this if they see, uh, you know, especially those in the East, uh, although these games are going to be starting 10-45, games one and two in the East, uh, I think they really should watch the Canucks and, and, yes. uh, and see how good guys like, not, not only Elias Pettersson and Brock Betzer, but this is not even the JT Miller that we saw in the Rangers and it's the Lightning. True. Like JT Miller became a star this year, a more more than a point a game player, um, is kind of their engine, um, the type of player they need. They needed uh, it was a great acquisition by Jim Benning that I don't think a lot of people thought at the time. So, um, and then from it seemed like, like it, it, not to turn this into Canucks because that of yeah. the two teams, like I would say they have the ceiling that you could say, hey, I, I'm going to make a case for a run by the Canucks. JT, like they, I, you felt like the JT Miller deal was an overpayment, and and sometimes, yeah. when, and you've seen this happen where you're like, hey, we're going to give this guy a bigger role, and it's like, eh, there's a reason why he wasn't given a bigger role in the past. But it was the opposite. It was like this guy flourished. He's been really good. Absolutely, he's been he's been great. He was the best player on the ice really the night that the Wild uh, beat them actually out there, and and so I think that it'll be really interesting to just watch how that game's going to go, and and. Um, and you know how the series is going to go. Yeah. And uh, from Minnesota's perspective, I mean, Kevin Fiala was an absolute stud down the stretch, one of the best players in the NHL, 14 goals, 26 points in his last uh, 18 games. And, and frankly, it looks like he hasn't missed a beat. Uh, you know, he lives in, you know, he's a Swiss player that lives in Sweden in the offseason. Yeah. So he was during the break because Sweden never closed down. <laughs> right, right. He was skating every single day and, and looks it. Um, and, you know, Parisi looks like he hasn't missed a beat. And, and to me, you know, I think that when you come down to being a veteran team in these type of short series, if you don't want to be in a bubble, you're going to lose before you even step on the ice. And the one thing that's been surprising to me from a Minnesota Wild beat writer perspective, because I know these guys, yeah. is even the veterans look like they want to be on the ice right now and are excited to be in the hubs. I mean, guys like Ryan Suter, Zach Parisi, Eric Stahl, 
guys that usually go through the motions in training camp. I mean, they were they were awesome in the in the last two weeks, and everybody looks good in camp. But um, I really do think in a short series that the, that the Wild uh, are going to put on a um, you know I, I think let's put it this way I've seen what our previews are in the athletic. Yeah. And I think that 86% of our uh, beat writers at the athletic could be wrong. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, I mean, you make it. And you point. know me, I never, pick no, the I was going to say like this is to, to hear any optimism from you about the wild. Yeah, I know is I don't even know what to do with that, but like, and it's funny because I do, <laughs> I, I look at a, it, like just from a, um, if you were to peel back and say, okay, the Wild are maybe not a cup contender, and these are guys that have been around it a lot. Like, these are all veteran players. If there was ever a team that's just going to be like, mail it in and get out, I would have yep. picked the Wild. So I'm really interested to hear that you, you felt like, from your point of view, they were really engaged. Yeah, like when Ryan Suter is, is like the best player on the ice in the yeah. game one scrimmage. I mean, that, that says something, because you know as well as I do that Ryan uh, would love to be back at his home and uh, next to the governor's mansion in Wisconsin and, and, uh, and, and hanging out with his children and, and all yeah, that type of stuff. Sure. So uh, he, w- he was great, and, um, and so that, that is a big thing. And, and, look, I think a lot of people just, you know, because the Wild are always considered this middling team, just always seem to discount them. But they've got a lot of good players. They have one of the best blue lines in the NHL. Um, you know, you know, again, a ton of veterans, uh, young and up and coming guys like Cunning Greenway, Erickson Eck, um, that that are are just starting to come into their own. And so, uh, you know, I I don't think anybody should just you know turn out the switch on Minnesota. Why did Why did Kevin Fiala have the year he did? Like, what did you see from him? That like he's like uh, because Paul yeah. Fenton's a genius, Craig. As I've always said, <laughs> I, you know. I don't. You've always been um, his biggest supporter. Yeah. Um, no, uh, you know, but look, uh, Paul Fenton saw Kevin Fiala a lot more than any of us did. And yeah. He, he did tell us when he acquired him that um, that he was going to be the game breaker that this team is, has long needed. And and he looks surely like he could develop into that right now. Now, again, he had a great five weeks um, and, a, and a good season. But, you know, now it's can he do it again and again and again and again. And that, that's what the true stars in this league. Um, you know, show on an everyday basis. So uh, that's what I think that we have to see. But look, you look at him on the ice, and he's got so much talent. Um, for a guy that broke his femur, Craig, it's just amazing to me that he hasn't lost any speed. His hands are 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 unbelievable. He's got great vision. Like he's as good a passer as he is a shooter, and he can beat you in many different ways. Like a lot of stars in the league. So now we just got to see if it continues, um, and if he's put in a position where he feels like he is trusted. Um, and and given a ton of responsibility, you know, he is somebody that has shown that he needs the coach to show that vote of confidence in him. Um, I think that uh, that he could develop into that star, and obviously he's got a, a lot of respect for Dean Evason, who is his coach in Milwaukee. They had a lot of tough love, the two of them, mm-hmm. um, but right now uh, he, he certainly looks like he's coming into his own. What did, um, how, how did they change under Dean Evason? What did you see, like, that, that was really noticeable? You know, it, it's it was twelve games. They were eight and four. They were actually starting to play better a little bit under under Bruce Boudreau. Um, yeah. But but you know, as you have seen many many times in this league, sometimes you just need a change in voice. And I didn't know if we were. I thought we'd get the change in voice at some point. But right. when it didn't happen, all of a sudden your radar goes off, and and you're not thinking that there's going to be a coaching change as late as that Bill was Garrett stunning. Like we've all forgotten move. about it yeah. and moved on with our lives. And there was a, a global pandemic, but it was at the time. Like it was like holy cow, they were. They were kind of going okay under Bruce. Yeah, and they, uh, you know, when they got 
annihilated the first game after the bye week. You know, that whole day I was on pins and needles waiting for the shoe to drop, and it didn't happen. And then they have a huge win in Dallas and come home and have a big win, and you're just like, all right, it's not going to happen. And then, you know, they're about to go on a big road trip, and you're thinking at this point he's just going to stay to the end of the year. But regardless, I mean, Dean's he's intense. Um, he played a long time in the NHL. He's got this enthusiasm. He runs practices. You know that he's in charge, and the players um, seem to like him. Uh, you know, I said on another podcast or radio show the other day, you know, a lot of times assistant coaches, they, they have a very different relationship with players. You know, they can almost be the buddy. And you feel that right now with Dean Evison when you watch him, not just with the Fialas and the veterans, but, the, you know, the Erickson X, the Cunnins, the Greenways. He's got this demeanor with them that you could tell that there's a lot of respect level. There's kind of this fun-loving demeanor on the ice with them. But yet, when, man, when that whistle blows, you know who's in charge. If they screw up in practice, he blows it dead, and they do it again. And usually after a little bit of a punishing skate <laughs> before they do the drill again. So, um, you know, it was eight, 12 games, uh, Billy Guerin felt like, uh, especially during the pause, that Dean did a lot of stuff to show that he was the boss. And that's why he's taking the interim tag off of him right now. All right. Mike, we, we're, we're a bit squeezed for time because I talked way too much to other people. But I know. I, I listened to Ryan Clark. He was just going on and <laughs> it on. It really on was Ryan. I, good. He's you not know, listening. As I always say, Ryan, there's never been a microphone that he didn't like. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's I'm, – I'm, I'm wrapping up. So if you caught the tail I'm, end, you know way, my ju- last two jo- questions. Let me just say, Craig, just yeah. to make it very clear, the joke there is that I'm the most overexposed beat writer in the NHL. Overexposed? Like three podcasts. Yeah, three podcasts. A, uh, you know – FSN, K, KFAN here. I would so, say you're comfortable people in front say of a microphone and a camera. Yeah, so I would people say. say that I like exactly. So. <laughs> um, all right, so let's wrap up with the two questions I'm at. And, and you, so, so clearly you got a head start You, if you heard the tail end of Ryan's conversation. But one, your hinge player. If this guy goes for the wild, they're, they're going to surprise some people. Who would that hinge player be? No mm, goalies. We don't really talk about the goalies, but no goalies. One. I mean, some like it's easy to say Spurgeon. I think if you don't watch Minnesota a lot, you're gonna see a you're gonna see why Wild fans and the Wild fell in love with this guy. Yeah, and why he's got the richest uh, AAV in Minnesota Wild history over Parisian Suter, by the way. But uh, you know what? I'm gonna go with Eric Sinek. Um okay. I think he's one of the best defensive forwards in the league, and I think that you know we just talked about Vancouver and how good their number one line is with uh, with uh, Toffoli and uh, Pedersen and JT Miller, their second line with Bo Horvat and Brock Besser. Um, if Erickson Eck is not a shutdown center for the Minnesota Wild in this five-game series, it's going to end before the Wild even know it. Um, to me, the Wild are so much better than Vancouver on the back end and the, and the third and fourth lines that if they don't stop the first two lines, they're not. it's going to be lights out for Minnesota. So I, I like Erickson Eck in this series, and I think a lot of people are going to see why the analytics show you that he's uh, one of the top defensive centermen in the league. You're talking me into the Wild, Mike. I can't believe this is this is I not know, how I man. saw this going. As uh, everybody always says, I'm just a homer. Yeah, you're so, such a homer. I can't believe it. You're you're pumping him up this much. Um, last thing, your gut feel. You got to finish this sentence for me. I just have a gut feeling that what? Hmm. Hmm. That is a that's a good one. Um. Uh, well, I mean, this isn't going to be especially the way that I've been writing about these bubbles lately. I have mm. a gut feeling that uh, that this thing is going to end perfectly. I, I, wow. don't, I don't, you know, the people, oh. the people that think that um, that all of a sudden COVID's going to invade this bubble. I just don't see how it's going to happen. Uh, the league has done a tremendous job um, getting. The, first of all, the players deserve an immense amount of credit getting to these yes. hubs COVID free. 
And, you know, I've talked, I've become like pals with this doctor down at Mayo that's one of the top infectious disease doctors in the country. And I'm telling you, you know, he basically says that it would be almost impossible for COVID to invade this bubble if, the, if they get four or five days in with negative tests. Uh, because, because really, as long as you get there healthy and can stay healthy, it's not going to get in there. So um, I think the NHL has done a, just a magnificent job to put on these bubbles. Uh, you're seeing it right now with the way that baseball is just at the brink of disaster. Yeah. And um, so, I mean, it's not a huge, huge, you, you know, to me, prognostication. But uh, I think a lot of us, especially you and I, who have talked a lot here in the last yeah. two months and, and seem to have almost... Well, not not even say it. I mean, we'll tell the listeners. I mean, had a lot of doubts that the NHL yes, was going to be able to sure. pull this off once it got into phase three. The fact that these players were so responsible um, and and cut down their negative, you know, their positive tests to the point that it's been uh, zero the last two rounds. I think it says everything that they're going to be able to pull this off, and we're going to see Gary Bettman for the first time ever not get booed when he presents the Stanley Cup. <laughs> Can we boo him on behalf of like we just just to make Gary feel comfortable? Like if uh, whoever's in the press box, be, so if we're let me just tell building. you this quick story. I know, I know that you're on. The, <laughs> oh, you got, we're you tight for wrap time. Up. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah. Yes, by by yeah. all means. Let's, let me let's, just tell you. So let's I, extend I'm this doing story. I'm doing this story on the officiating for tomorrow, Jeff. Yeah. I can't wait to see what Jeff Demet cuts this uh, podcast down to. Mm-hmm. Um, but great. anyway. Um, the uh, it's going to be out tomorrow. I highly recommend people uh, reading it. But I was talking to Stephen Walken, the director of officiating, about the fact that there's no fans in the in the stands to almost you know uh, almost persuade referees into calls. Right. And they are they're going to hear everything. And so he was joking that he goes, "Well, I can tell you since we control the sound, we're not going to pipe in booing." So <laughs> that's great. That's great. So well, Mike, I'll uh, I'll call you in an hour just so we can talk every hour on the hour like we have for the last six months. Uh, but thanks Definitely. for doing the podcast, man. It was fun. Yep, anytime. Awesome, awesome. That was Mike Russo, of course, Minnesota Wild Beat writer. They play the Canucks in a play-in series. Game one, August 2nd in Edmonton. Keep this moving. We're going right to Calgary Flames Beat writer Scott Krugshank. The Flames play the Winnipeg Jets in Edmonton, in the Edmonton bubble. August 1st is their first game. Uh, and this is, to me, an absolute coin toss, this series. So I'm excited to get Scott in. Maybe he can give me some clarity because I have no clue what's going to happen. Scott, how are you? Thanks for doing this. Yeah, no problem at all. Um, all right. So uh, it's funny. In, uh, in, in talking through this series uh, with Mira, I like the, the, the Jets. I, I felt like I liked the Jets. And, you know, we started talking about their defense. And maybe that's lacking. And you look at the Flames' firepower up front. Like if a guy like Johnny Goudreau is going and and plays well, um, you know that's that's a nice edge for Calgary. But we, you know, I'm sure as has been well written in Calgary, doesn't always have the I guess reputation or, or history of performing the playoffs. How do you see this matchup playing out specifically for a guy like Johnny? Yeah, well, that was kind of the uh, the vibe last year is that the Flames' first line would go head to head with Colorado's first line and they'd play each other to a standstill. And the Flames' superior depth would see them through. But, of course, it didn't come close. The Flames' first line just got overwhelmed by such a substantial margin. And and every line that faced McKinnon and those guys did as well. So um, going into this series, absolutely. It's kind of... I had to rank the Flames in terms of their importance going into this series the other day. And Goudreau's at the top. I know normally that's where you slide a goalie. But in this case, even if he comes out, he doesn't need four helpers in the first game or, you know, six assists through three games or anything like yeah. that. 
but he's got to show a level of engagement that just was not there for the first part of this year and, of course, in the playoffs at all last year. I agree. Like, to me, it's everything. And I wonder, and again, not to get ahead of uh, the put the card ahead of the horse here, but if it doesn't go well for Johnny, what is? do you think that impacts his future at all? Well, that's the big question. And in fact, last year after the playoffs, everyone said, well, that, that just shows he doesn't want to be in Calgary. And then his poor start this year, including body language that looked mm. you know, frustrated at times, disinterested at other times, it was a clear message too that he wanted out and that he was on his way to pick an Eastern Conference team. Right. But he, he actually... Boston Bruins? The, Can I pick that one? No, any, sure, any. sure. <laughs> well, he, he grew up across the river from the Flyers, so that's... Oh, you know, that's it's... Always yeah, seen, right. That always seems to be a, yeah. a natural landing spot for him. But he, uh, and to his credit too, I will say this, that uh, the last 20 games before the pause, he had 20 points and he, and forget the production, he was engaged. Yeah. So um, if he carries that through uh, into the playoffs here, he could be a flame for another, you know, five or six or eight years. But uh, if this first round or qualifying round or whatever we want to call it, yeah, in any way resembles last year's, then... I think there's a number of core members that are, you know, potentially shifted elsewhere. Yeah, they, it does seem this team has that feel to it, right? Like they've they've been at it a while. You've got some contracts that are kind of, I would say, maturing. And uh, you know, a player that's kind of in uh, I wouldn't say quite in that boat, but you, in in your rankings list, you had Mark Giordano number two. He's got a couple years left in his deal, but you, I would totally expect this defense to look different next year based on just the, the salary structure up and down the D. Um, what do you expect to see out of Mark, and how big a postseason is this for him? Yeah, well, you, you, first of all, you mentioned that blue line. There's five defensemen that are unrestricted free right. agents, so it, it will look different for yeah, sure. Yeah. But Giordano, it's always, even though I know the numbers, it, it shocks me every time you know I recite them, which is here's a guy, uh, 36 years old, played 900 games, has this, uh, self-made career, yet he's yeah. played only 13 playoff games, and he's only won two of them. No so if that's not, well, I would have lost money on the over/under of post postseason games for him. Yeah, so the, if if that isn't a hungry player, I don't know yeah. who is. And yeah. and it probably should be noted too that while the Flames' first line, you know, kind of quite rightly took a real pounding last year after the playoffs, you know, by fans and in the media, uh, Giordano wasn't great, and neither was Matthew Kachuk. So. There was a little blame to be spread around there. And, of course, the for how many months now? 16 months? They've been talking about redemption. So finally they get to start that Saturday. <laughs> yeah, because it was going to be a long wait April to the next April to kind of get to show that they've learned their lessons. Yeah. And now it's going to be August. Yeah. So. Um, now, as an American, I am required to like Matthew Kachuk. Um, it's, 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 he's in the first family of American hockey. I know... <laughs> Uh, you know, Winnipeg fans are going to hate him. Uh, I, I just love him on this stage, right? Just just as a hockey fan. like the, He's going to be somebody that is going to make his impact one way or the other on this in this playoff series. Right. And, and you know, sooner rather than later, he's going to make his way to, you know, Connor Hellebuck's kitchen. Oh, my and, gosh. Uh, like immediately. set up shop there. But the, the, the question is, how do the... That, that's a given. But the question is how the Jets react. And I know... Last year in game one against Colorado, Colorado reacted. They took penalties, and Kachuk had a great game. And in game two, they kind of you know, did what they could to ignore him, which is nearly impossible, and his effectiveness went down after that. So it's going to be interesting to see how much the Jets 
can resist wanting to plow him, which is the, the, the <laughs> tough part. Like he, he, since he's been in the league so four years, he's drawn the most penalties of any player, and there's a reason for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, it, the flip side of a guy like Giordano, who whatever you said, thirteen games. You have a guy in Milan Lucic who has a hundred plus playoff games. Like he's this is a guy with a lot of postseason mileage under his belt. Uh, and theoretically, you know, I guess as disappointing as his recent years have been, like this is this would be his time to shine, right? Like this is the setup for him. You know, at this point in his career, what what should we expect from him in a series like this? Yeah, well, it's interesting. The other day, the uh, the league sent out a, a note with the uh, the teams ranked in terms of playoff experience, and the Flames have the least, just a couple hundred games. And as you huh. mentioned. Lucic has a hundred of those, so um, <laughs> you know carrying what? the load there. Yeah, he, he's been kind of a, a pleasant surprise. Yeah, and he, you know, he's not a twenty goal guy anymore, and, and that's not going to happen. But he's super popular in the room. Sure, and he's not a top six player, but that's fine. And he he was actually playing very well, kind of in the the days leading up to the pot, the weeks I should say, leading up to the pause. So I don't know if you can expect uh, a ton of points from him, but I right. think as a guy to lean on and for a guy like Jeff Ward who's in his first crack at this as a head coach him and Lucic go way back as well to some Stanley Cup wins uh he'll be an important figure Lucic will as this thing goes um gosh I've already we've talked a lot with some of the other writers about coaching changes this one in Calgary was huge news obviously um so like you know Jeff Ward's got something like you know writing on this did they get enough time with him where you felt like it was his team? Like, how, how were they along in that transition? Yeah, well, he went uh, after Peters uh, left. Uh, the team was 25-15-3 under Ward, which is pretty good, if you ask yeah. me. And so that's a decent enough sample size. But everything around here, from you mentioned Johnny Gaudreau's fate, uh, how that defense looks next year, it all kind of hinges on how this looks going forward. And in my opinion, Ward knows how to do it, and that's. But my opinion doesn't matter in this case. And he, some people say it depends on how well he does in the playoffs if he gets to scrub the interim off his uh, job description. But I don't know if that means winning the qualifying round, or right. if it means winning the qualifying round and then winning the, I guess, first round. Or does it matter if the team just looks engaged and ready? I don't know how that looks, but he's definitely on the hot seat and. Potentially, he might not be back as head coach. Right. I wouldn't right. agree with that, but because at some point, this team, I think Giordano has played for eight or nine coaches already. At, at right. some point, you got to lock it the in. players have to wear some of this. Mm. Um, it, one of the interesting developments with Calgary was there haven't been a lot of guys that opted out, but a pretty big name in Travis Hammond opting out. Um, for understandable reasons. Like, I think it, we saw that and it was like, yeah, okay, everyone supports it. But from a hockey perspective, what does that do to the D? Yeah, well, that's your second line, right side mm. guy. But again, if there's not, there's not really a silver lining to any sort of you know development like this. But the Flames had not played with Hamannik for the four weeks leading up to the pause, so he'd missed fourteen straight games or something like that leading up to the pause. So they know what they look like without him, and they know where everyone plays without him. And I'm sure the uh, the three pairings on Saturday will be exactly the same as the three pairings that they had been the two weeks before the pause. So it's it's relatively familiar territory. But again, it's uh, Hamannik's a 
you know, heart and soul playoff kind of player, a, a leader, popular in the room, all that. So, you know, it's, it's a big hole for sure. All right, Scott, to wrap up, same two questions I've been asking everybody else. The first is I'm looking for a hinge player that not necessarily a star, uh, definitely not a goalie. I'm not allowing goalies, even though we didn't get into the goalies much here, that if he overachieves, um, their success hinges on that. Like they could they could end up being a surprise run in the West. Who would be that guy if he has a big postseason? I would say Kachuk. I know yeah. we've kind of already talked about him, yeah. but I think last year we saw – how effective he could be in game one. And then we saw what it looked like when he wasn't effective, which was games two through five. So it's, it's, he's a young guy. And so that buys him some space or some room, I guess, but he, uh, it's, it's his time. Like you said, he seems like a guy that should thrive in these circumstances. Like his Memorial cup that one year, unbelievable. He had 40 points in 20 playoff games that year. So this is his stage. And, And I'd be surprised if he wasn't very good. Um, I agree with that. Uh, and last thing, I, just because I love to get people's like gut feels, like people have such a good feel for the teams they cover, and, and you know, not necessarily a prediction, but maybe just a player or something. I want you to finish the sentence. I just have a gut feeling that what? You know what? I, I think that I would never call the Flames a team of destiny. Okay. But I've got a I've got a hunch they'll do pretty well. I know people have talked about you know, the Rocky Mountain hangover from what they dealt with last year. But this is a team that lost their very best prospect for the whole year, Valimaki. This is a team that, you know, the one day I thought we were watching TJ Brody die on the ice. He collapsed and went into convulsions. A couple weeks later, there's the Bill Peters scandal. Shortly after that, they announced assistant GM Chris Snow has ALS. Then on the day the season's paused, Ken King dies, their longtime president. So it seems like, you know, this team has been under a weight of on-ice and off-ice things all season long. And I think to use Brad Treleving's words, I think they've built up a bit of a callus, these guys, and I think mm. they're ready. Mm. Yeah, they've had to deal with a lot when you start listing it like that. Oh, yeah. And you can add Hamannick as well. The right. decision on the, fr- the Friday before camp starts, uh, that's a big one too. Hmm. Well, it's going to take, you know, it's been a weird year. It's going to take a team that can deal with some stuff. So, Scott, thank you so much for joining. It was great to hear from you. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Awesome. The Flames face the Winnipeg Jets in their five-game play-in series. They are in the Edmonton bubble. First game is August 1st at Rogers Place in Edmonton against the Jets. And we close this thing with our cleanup hitter. I guess I can't say cleanup hitter because we're 50 people into this. But the person I would want to end this show more than anybody else, Sarah Sivian, our Carolina Hurricanes beat writer. Sivy. What's happening? It's good to hear that laugh. How are you? Custy. Can I call you that? I'm great. How are you? <laughs> yeah, you, you may. The only other person that does that is Porty. Uh, maybe just because I call him Porty. I don't call yeah. a lot of people. I don't hockey name a lot of people, but Sivy and Porty just seem natural. Is that all right? Do I have your permission to call you Sivy? No, I like it. I like it. I appreciate it. It's like a call and response type deal. <laughs> so Carolina is... A fascinating team to me because um, they they're actually dealing with some stuff, right? Like a lot of these teams, it was like they're going to come out and they had all this time off and uh, they benefited from from rest and health. And now you know Carolina, we've got Dougie Hamilton situation. Like they've already had to deal with some stuff. Like how how breaking camp? Like what's your feel for this team? How are they? Like how healthy are they? Look, where are they at right now? 
I mean, aren't we all dealing with some stuff? We're right all now? dealing with I some stuff. Think... Oh my gosh! <laughs> but they're they're severely going through it. I mean, it's you didn't expect the Dougie Hamilton injury, and then looking at it and from sources, you can tell that it wasn't a reaggravation of his leg, which is good, and that they need to go into the Rangers um, play-in series with the mindset that they're not going to get him back for that. And I think they'll get him back for their actual first round if they can make it past the Rangers, which that's been a struggle historically. I mean, without him and Pesci, it's pretty hard, but that's what they thought they were going to deal with at the trade deadline anyway, so they got reinforcements. Um, It's just that the blue line isn't as much of a strength as it used to be, but it's not per se a weakness. So it's kind of, it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's iffy, but you know, one of the things, and and if people even remember this, but they were dealing with goal, like, of course we remember because it became national story, but they were dealing with goalie situation. Fair to say that that's kind of straight. It's like, everybody's good to go, right? The goalies. Yeah, that's for sure. And I know, um, Mrazek had gone to a, um, sports psychologist to kind of get him extra prepared and I think that's important for somebody like him who is kind of hit or miss you know inconsistent but it's going to be huge to see if he can step up especially with only a best of five and then if he can't Reimer better be ready to go immediately um it was funny we had James on this podcast we were talking about some other stuff and he he was just like you know goalies it's gonna be weird because we're always next to each other anyway so somebody gets COVID like we're all gonna get like it's not gonna just be one guy who gets it in terms of the goalies it's you know it could be both of them but hopefully we're not talking about that um down the road yeah God, where's Dave Ayers? Oh my gosh, Ayers. Yeah. So, so you, I didn't realize that about Peter Morazic during the break. It was specific to the to the pause that he saw saw it out of sports psychologist. Um, I guess we can look for that on theathletic.com sometime in the future. But I do think it had something to do with that and just kind of getting into the swing of everything during such an unprecedented time, as they say now. It, it, it must be super weird, but at the same time, probably the most normal thing everyone's doing right now in the hockey world is getting yeah. back to hockey, right? Um, it, it was funny. I did like I liked um, Justin Williams' sarcasm about everyone eating Haagen Dazs and and is out of shape and oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> can't get a straight straight answer. But like in your observations, and I and I like those are some of the like I was I loved those pieces and especially in preparing for something like this. But what? Was there any players that jumped out to you in terms of, of seem, just really seemed plugged in and, and had some extra juice in this thing? Well, that's always funny. And I know I read um, Friedman's 31 Thoughts recently that said everyone's saying everyone had a great camp. And of course, because everyone's just excited. And that's every year, but also this year because everyone's just excited to report something. But uh, Vatanen, I've heard from actual like front office sources that they thought that he has done really well. And I think he might be somebody that surprises Hurricanes fans because they haven't seen him even once in a Hurricanes uniform. And now it seems he's all ready to go. And he, if they put him on the first pairing with Slavin, I think that's probably the way to go. And he might be a pleasant surprise. Yeah. And it's interesting because I think, you know, you would have, if, had they been healthy, you can, you can easily imagine like a Hamilton Slavin pair and then Brady Shane that which is, you know, uh, a pair that didn't exist, whatever it was, you know, at the start of the season. Yeah. And, you know, that's uh, that's pretty good. Like, it, I, I wanted to get your thoughts on Brady Shea, the impact he made in, 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 you know, post-trade and how you feel his comfort level is right now. I mean, I put myself in his shoes. It must be tough to go from being 
on the Rangers your entire career, then traded to this notoriously free-flowing system, right, where Rod Brindamore encourages um, defense to get on offense as much as possible and just kind of everybody has kind of equal role. But um, I think it did take him a while to adjust, especially with so many moving parts with the Canes when they're not really used to that. Um, I think it was an adjustment period, but he did look eager to take shots and eager to get active. It was just kind of he needed to get more games underneath him, I think. Yeah. What are the chances that we see Brett Pesci? Like, where, where oh, is he in his recovery? Like, how far do they have to advance? As Rod Brindamore said, if we're talking about Brett Pesci getting back into a game, then the Hurricanes are in good shape. So yeah. I think it's sometime in September. I don't know if it's going to be early, mid-September, but it's it's at the it's going to have to be like the ECF or at least the second round. Right. Right, and that's that's a good defense, the Carolina D. Like if everyone's there, and I guess that's 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 the big if right now with that team. Um, all right, yes. we this uh, this podcast has been unbelievably long, so you're getting I, I'm shorting you a little bit, Sivvy, because uh, we went we went long with a few others. But there's two questions that I've been asking everybody, and I wanted to I wanted to get your perspective. And the first is a hinge player and. Not necessarily looking for a goalie. Because I would say, especially with Carolina, like it's the easy answer is a goalie. If Peter Mrazek's really good, this team's going to be really good. But removing Mrazek from the equation, if one player on this team overachieves um, and really establishes themselves, and you know you're, you would be confident Carolina goes on a run, who would that hinge player be? I want to say Ryan Dezingle because oh. it's not something that's expected. So right. if it, it, it does happen, he can really, and we've seen him turn it on in the playoffs before. If he can just do that again, I mean, if he can simply do that again, that would be excellent for the Canes. But that's like the depth player you talk about, right, that comes up big randomly. Right. That's what it is. It's always those guys, right? That's And that's a good example. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. And the second question I'm asking everybody is I just want a gut feel, like like – you're so connected to that team. You're so plugged in. You would know. Like sometimes you're like, ah, it's not the year, or this player is about to to break out. So I'm having people finish the sentence. I just have a gut feeling that what? Anything. I have a gut feeling that anything. Oh God. Um. That... <laughs> yeah. It's this is, this is the ultimate open ended question. It's not even a question. You have to finish the sentence. Morazic's ready. Morazic's year. Mm. It's going to be Morazic's year. Wow. That's a bold statement. He can get it hot. Is. We've all yeah, seen Peter Morazic get hot, right? Yeah. Like for stretches. It's just and a matter a, of doing it for a yeah. long stretch. This is the perfect stretch to get hot when you just have to win three games right. and then you're on to the next. Awesome. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for doing this. I know everyone's got a lot going on right now, so I appreciate it. Anytime, Craig. Awesome. Awesome. It's puck drop now. The Carolina Hurricanes face the New York Rangers in their five-game playing series starting August 1st in toronto and that is it that is our playoff preview i there's too many people to thank too many people came on the pod but thank you to everybody we're all like scrambling this week it's been a crazy week um and so I, i'm super appreciative to everybody for carving out that time to producer jeff for lining them all up it was a herculean effort on his part a couple things to promote i do want to s- stick around next week because the full 60, we are going to do one more um, playoff roundtable with our staff. And this is going to be, we're all going to be together once. I'd expect, you know, me, Scott Burnside, Pierre Lebrun, Katie Strang. It might just be an old ESPN reunion. No, we won't make it. We'll, we'll include a few others. 
um, and we're going to do a roundtable about everything that's gone on. It's really been a historic stretch here. So check that out. That's going to be next week on the Full 60. Also, right now, we have a ton of stuff dropping around the playoffs. Uh, huge stories, in like behind-the-scenes stuff, diaries from the bubbles, uh, player, or I mean, anonymous coaches poll that Russo and I have been working on together. Just so much stuff coming out this week. If you are not a subscriber to The Athletic, this is the perfect time to join. If you go to theathletic.com slash full60, you will get 40% off. Actually, the reality is right now, because it's the playoffs, we are doing a 40% promo if you just click on any of the stories. But um, I would definitely encourage you. We're going to have so, we will, I promise you, we will make it worth your time to sign up and your money. We take that very seriously, and we have so much coming. Uh, also, uh, you can leave comments. If you enjoyed this format, I would love to hear from you on the Athletic app on this podcast episode. There's a new comment section. I would love just, I'm curious, if you like the in and out quick hitters with writers, we will, we will we'll bring it back if, if it's popular. And for those of you who listen on Apple, if you can subscribe and rate this podcast and leave a review, like bonus points to those of you who left a review, I, I appreciate it so much. Whew. Thank you to everybody for joining the podcast. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the playoffs. It's going to be awesome.